At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Warmer brother Yvo, welcome to Love Las Vegas. Because Gussie's with myself, Greg Peters, and now part of the Decent Family Podcast, and we got a great podcast for you guys. In segment number two, we're going to be joined by Eli Becker. He does amazing work over at eCheckCBB. He's the founder of that wonderful platform, and in segment number two, we're going to be taking a look at fact that we now have conference tournaments going down and it is a lovely thing some of the conference tournaments that he has his eye on what we can all expect from these conference tournaments as it has been wild and crazy to take a look at this college basketball season can we expect more of the same we're gonna be diving into that with Eli in segment number two in the final segment gonna give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots if you have a question, comment, segment, idea, what I have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does not matter, as per usual. Please just send these into the timeline, and the other way, that's fine, an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did not get in any Twitter questions today, but... We had some interesting basketball Monday and the official start of conference tournament, so let's take a look back at it, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. In the Atlantic Sun Conference Tournament, the two teams that are not eligible to make the NCAA tournament were the two teams that were able to survive in advance. Queens NC takes down Florida Gulf Coast by a count of 61-55 to as... Dunk City, they were very good out of conference and conference. Was not so great. Chase Johnson tried to get to the team to victory, but he had 24 of the team's 55 points. Meanwhile, Queens, despite going 8 of 26 from 3, with a balanced effort in which every single one of their starters scored in double figures, they get it done 61 to 55. And on a buzzer beater, Bellarmine, they are able to survive in advance against North Florida by kind of 76 to 74. North Florida loses this game going 14 of 30 from three-point range, but lost the rebound battle by counting 34 to 26 as off the bench, a hero for Bellerman, Ben Johnson. He has been able to come on recently for this team. His second performance of 25-plus points in his last six games, he was able to supply the team with 26 off the bench. That got Bellerman to the window. You saw North Carolina continue their hot three-point shooting. They take down Florida State by counting 77 to 66 North Carolina goes 14 of 29 from three, and they've now shot 26 out of 51 from three-point range in their last two games, so they're starting to heat up with that aspect, and 
for Florida State, it's been a relatively brutal defense all season long. They did have Caleb Mills coming off the bench. He had 19 points. He did a nice job for the team, but North Carolina, they look to be ascending. They were able to get the job done on Monday. Really not a lot else happened other than Grambling was able to get another cover and an under 66 of 54. Have to record this a little bit early as the Greg Peterson experience is now from midnight to 3 Eastern time, 9 to midnight Pacific time over on VSIN. So we still have a few results pending like West Virginia and Iowa State as at the half of West Virginia. Currently up by a count of 35 to 27. My goodness, Iowa State. In a free fall right now, West Virginia went 6 of 16 from three point range in that first half. And right now we're sweating out that DK Nation pick as uh, the under of 142.5 in Oklahoma State versus Baylor. 71 points in the first half. Baylor went 8 of 16 from three point range with no Keontae George. I do expect things to dry up a little bit in half number two, so we shall wait and see what happens there. Currently have Wyoming up on Nevada at the half by a count of 40 to 37, and Eastern Washington, they're having the wood laid to them after they had the nation's longest win streak snapped over the weekend. Currently, they're trailing Montana State by a count of 38 to 25, but something else that we're noticing in college basketball right now is just all these overs that have been hitting just really throughout the entirety of conference play. You take a look at the last 30 days in college basketball, we've had an over rate of 55%, 760 overs, 621 unders in this time span. You've had home underdogs go about 51.1%, 242, 232, and 12 against the spread. And home teams in this time span have been hitting at right around 52.5%. So home favorites have actually been doing better than home underdogs in this span. If you take a look at the last seven days in college basketball, the over rate, it's been relatively the same. 181 overs to 145 unders. That is 55.5% to the over. And if you take a look at the entirety of the college basketball season, we have seen the overrate be able to climb north of 52%, 52.1% to be exact, 2,619 overs, 2,407 unders, and overall for the season, home underdogs starting to dry up a little bit, 776, 711, and 32 against the spread, and I know some of you guys have been asking me if I'm still going to be taking a look at some unders in conference play, especially when you get these three games in three days scenarios. I certainly will be. I do think that we are going to see a little bit of a run on unders, but we've been seeing a lot of overs this college basketball season, so that's what we're seeing trend-wise in college basketball. And a little bit of a recap of everything from Monday. If anything happened with the late games that I need to get you guys caught up on, I will do that tomorrow, but what's next Take a look at what we're going to be getting in conference tournament play, the wild and crazy landscape that we've been seeing in college basketball, and a few games for Tuesday with Eli Becker. He does amazing work at each XCBB, and he joins me next right here on Cuscus with myself, Greg Eves Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024. And we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. 
I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now Lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Gus Gussie with myself, Greg Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And it's always great to be joined by this guest as Eli Becker is the founder of Heatcheck CBB, does a great job operating that absolutely wonderful platform. It is a place for college basketball fans, by college basketball fans, that takes a look at just everything that we love, everything from advanced analytics to just taking a simple look at rosters. They do a great job of breaking it all down. I know that these men are very hard at work with Championship Week as we've got our champion aboard at Eli, who you're able to find at his last name, Becker, B-O-E-T-T-G-E-R, underscore, and then Eli, and to be able to find HXEBB on Twitter, easy enough, at HXEBB, and it's always great to have you aboard, my friend. Thank you. 
Yes, thank you as always for having me on, Greg. It's could could not ask for a better time of the year, so it's a really exciting time to chat college hoops with you. It certainly is exciting. And Eli, conference tournaments officially started up on Monday. Obviously, not the most rambunctious of action, but you know what? Conference tournament games have now been played. And in terms of more of these smaller conference tournament games, because the power conference tournaments, those are all going to be starting up next week. But in terms of the ones that are starting up this week, are there any of intrigue, whether it be a conference that involves a team or two that you think might be dangerous in the NCAA tournament, or you think it's just going to be good fun in general to check out? I mean, it's always good fun. It's champ week. It's the best time of the year for sure. But man, there are some really intriguing mid-major conference tournaments to take a look at. I think naturally a great starting point seemingly every year is Arch Madness. The Missouri Valley Conference is always fascinating, and I think especially Given their recent realignment, bringing in new members in Belmont Murray State, now that Loyal Chicago is out of the conference, there has been a little bit of changing of the guard there. But it's a really, really solid top four, top five in this league. And I think each of those top four teams have not only a reasonable chance of cutting down the nets in St. Louis, but also have a pretty reasonable shot at winning a first-round tournament game. And the Missouri Valley Conference has done a wonderful job at doing that in recent seasons. We've seen it in a handful of different years with Northern Iowa, Wichita State, Loyal Chicago. It's been a really, really fun league to, to monitor over the years. But I take a look at a team like Drake, which very well uh, probably has the best player in this conference in uh, Tucker DeVries, the son of Darian DeVries, the head coach there. He is a massive mismatch and a matchup nightmare, given what he's able to do with stretch the floor, uh, really assert himself near the paint. Bradley's won the regular season title for the first time in, I want to say, multiple decades now. And they've got a really fascinating team. They're on a massive winning streak entering into the tournament, so they're really hot. But even beyond that, like like Belmont, I don't think many people were expecting a whole lot of them this season with the type of roster turnover that they've had. But sure enough, they're right there in the mix. And then even kind of a deep sleeper, a team that I think will ultimately cut down the nets as a dark horse in this league is Indiana State. I've seen a little bit of them this year. I think with a guy like Cooper Neese running the show, he's a really intriguing player. I've seen him quite a bit. Surprisingly, this is a team that leads the nation at two-point percentage, so they know how to find easy buckets. Uh, they do shoot a lot of threes, but they are pretty strategic in, in finding two-pointers and shooting at an effective clip. So, man, it's going to be a fun league. Really intrigued by that one. I think elsewhere, a two-team race in the A-Sun between Kennesaw State, the regular season champ, and Liberty. Darius McGee has just been going absolutely berserk lately, so he'll be a fun guy to watch in that one. And then I think the same can be said in the Colonial with Charleston, which I think is just narrowly hanging on to their at-large consideration. I'd have to wonder if they don't get to the title game, whether they may be left out, uh, given all the publicity that they've had this year. I just don't know if there's quite enough on that resume. So they are playing with an absolute ton of pressure, but they're not even the one seed in that conference tournament, even though they've had just such a special year. I think that another conference tournament you got to look at with the competitors like Hofstra, which is really good shooting team. Love what they do on the offensive end. And then also Towson is probably in that mix as well. So like you said, even though we're just warming up here, I think it's a it's a really exciting time to check out these mid-major teams that could do a whole heck of a lot of damage in the NCAA tournament. And heck, this is going to be a conference tournament that starts in the next few days as well. But if Oral Roberts is able to get through the Summit League as well, it's a team that both you and I picked to knock off Ohio <laughs> State in the NCAA tournament two years ago. Those are good memories for the two of us. That would be very nice to see as well. They certainly would not be a 15th seed 
if they make the NCAA tournament this year as well. So Eli Becker does amazing work over at Echex CBB is joining me on the podcast. And how much carnage are you expecting with some of these conference tournaments? Because I just feel like if it's even close to what we've seen here during the regular season, that we are going to be seeing a bunch of teams slipping and falling because I know that you were talking about the Missouri Valley Conference. Things were able to sort itself out in the final week or so. But I remember about 10 days ago, there was like six different teams that were within one game of first place. That was wild and crazy. We've been seeing it just all across so many of these conferences. We've had very few runaway winners like in Oral Roberts. Who I just mentioned you even touched upon it with Charleston. Charleston, who's deemed as one of the best mid-majors in all of college basketball, didn't even win their league this year. How many of these favorites do you think are actually going to be able to go out there and get the job done? Because I do think that there's going to be a lot of surprises. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I thought last year, uh, the numbers back this up, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but last year was a fairly chalk year as far as conference tournaments were concerned, even if it wasn't necessarily the the one seeds that won their conference tournament, there, there weren't really a ton of deep surprises that went on to clinch automatic bursts. And so usually that kind of is a law of averages there. Usually there's a normal year and then the next year there's quite a bit more chaos. But I think even if you're not playing the law of averages game, kind of what you touched on is just the overall parity in a lot of these leagues. I think at least for this first batch of conference tournaments that are starting up this week. Besides maybe Oral Roberts is an overwhelming favorite in the Summit League, rightfully so. They're the only team in the entire country that's undefeated in league games this year. They're the overwhelming favorite. I'd probably say that Liberty may be in that mix as well and and, and Vermont as well. And then I think Colgate is the other team that's kind of an odds-on favorite to win their league. But beyond those four, and even Vermont Liberty may be a bit of a stretch. I think it's probably more so Colgate and Oral Roberts. Beyond those two, it's really wide open because you just have so many teams that are capable of cutting down the nets. And I think that a lot of these teams, based on efficiency, based on their recent play, and based on just the overall win-loss records and who's beaten who in each of their leagues, I think it's pretty wide open. Uh, you take some of these other conferences, for example, the Sun Belt. I think you could throw in, I don't know, maybe five or six different contenders. I've seen a lot of people choose South Alabama as kind of a dark horse to win that league. They finished nine and nine, but they've been playing really well of late. They've only lost two games since the calendar flipped to February. They're eight and two over their last 10, arguably playing as well as anybody in the Sun Belt. And they're coming in not even as a protected seed. They have to play in the first round there. So that's one that's wide open with four different top 100 Ken Palm teams. I think overall, when you're taking a look at a lot of these leagues and who may come out of it, who may be a dark horse, I think it's mostly a matter of how many teams are kind of jumbled within, say, 30 to 50 spots in Ken Palm. And if you have a handful of teams that are kind of within that window, I think that's an opportunity where it could be a dark horse who who runs away and wins it. But it's wide open. And even you could even say the Northeast Conference, which I think is easily the worst league in all of college basketball this season, they don't have a single team that's ranked higher than, I think, 310th in Ken Palm. But they occupy most of the top, excuse me, the bottom 50 teams in all of Ken Palm. But, you know, if you're St. Francis or if you're Central Connecticut or one of these teams where you're the team that finished sub 500 in this league, you're really only a couple points per 100 possessions worse than the number one seed in the bracket. So you have to kind of almost enter this league thinking, 
are we really that much worse than the number one team in this league? Numbers would say otherwise. So all that to say, I do think this is going to be a season where we see a lot of these number one seeds that fall. We thought Eastern Washington was going to be a team that could run away with the big sky, in which they did. But they just had a recent loss to an Idaho State team that isn't really making a whole lot of waves. So it's wide open in a lot of these leagues, but it just creates more chaos. And I think it creates a lot more excitement for us viewers. And I'm so glad that you bring up the NEC conference because Merrimack actually won that regular season at 12 and 4. Sonil was tied for second at 10 and 6. Both of these teams cannot make the NCAA tournament because, gasp, they were at the D2 level a few years ago because that gives them such a competitive advantage going up to the Division One level, which I will never understand that rule you buy. I don't know if you will or not, but that to me is just very sad because I would love to see a team like Merrimack make the NCAA tournament. It is one of these kind of disappointing things, especially in recent years where we've seen a lot of these transitionary teams make immediate waves at the Division One level. We saw it last year with Bellarmine that cut down the nets in the A-Sun tournament. We've seen Merrimack uh, make a pretty substantial immediate impact in, in their conference. The list really goes on and on with a lot of these D1 teams that are able to transition and make significant waves. And I think that maybe there should be a greater discussion to be had about whether this needs to be a four-year window or not. I, I think four years is far too long. And these teams have shown that they can be immediately competitive and it might be more than just Merrimack that might be a champion of a conference tournament this year and may not be able to get in we could see this with some other leagues too I think it's a good thing that they're allowing their teams to compete in the conference tournament but it certainly sets up a weird situation like last year where Bellarmine won the A-Sun yet it was Jacksonville State that advanced the NCAA tournament so it's a weird deal it's one of those kind of things that's unusual to college sports and I I do wish it would go away I guess I kind of understand the reason why there is a transitionary I just don't think it needs to be four years. These these teams have shown once they reach the D1 level that there is such a commitment to competing at the highest level. And they've also shown that they're able to compete and win games and uh, contend for championships, which is all you can really ask for for a lot of these conferences. I do agree with you there. As Eli Betker, the founder of HEC CBB, is joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops. And Eli, I mentioned it, the landscape of college basketball. Right now, it is very murky, and I don't know what to make out of the top teams in college basketball right now because I still do feel like if there's a team with more upside than any other, it's Alabama. But as we know, the situation that is going on with their top player, that's not necessarily so savory. Everything that has happened with Brandon Miller, that's not great to say the least, and I do think that it's caused a little bit of a distraction for Alabama. Houston is safely on defense, but we've also seen this team Moves on their home Florida Temple. Kansas is going to be in action on Tuesday, and I really do think that we need to be giving credence to whoever is able to pull out the championship in the Big 12 because we've been in agreement all season long. This is by far the top conference in all of college basketball, but what do you make out the top of college basketball? Because much like these conference tournaments, I feel like the top of college basketball is a jumbled up mess, and it's just so hard to have any sort of a championship pick, any sort of a Final Four right now because I think that it is all going to be based on the matchups that are actually drawn on Selection Sunday in a few weeks. Yeah, it's going to be very matchup heavy. I think what these regions look like could say a lot about who's going to be contending for the national championship in Houston a handful of weeks. I think that it's going to be one of those years because there isn't necessarily a dominant team or a dominant group of teams. And I think when 
that is the case, it just it really comes down to matchups because you take a team like Purdue, which is a team that I, I closely follow, and they could be in a particular situation where they may have a region that breaks their way and they might have teams that aren't able to outshoot them necessarily because I know that one of the things that has plagued Purdue throughout their season is three-point shooting. But if they run into a team that can shoot the lights out from deep, I don't I don't know if that's a game that Purdue can come back and win. We take some of the other teams that are up top. If there's a team that, say, Tennessee plays, it's almost a similar case for them because I think they could be bounced reasonably early if they go up against a team that can also score the basketball at a high level because as we've talked about consistently this season on this show – is the volunteers go through pretty lengthy scoring droughts, and that has plagued them throughout the season, despite being a top 10 caliber team. So I think it's going to come down to a lot of these matchups, and that's why I think people right now are starting to formulate their decisions about who they want to take in their bracket, who they want to pick against, uh, who they want to pick Cinderella's against, and so on. But I would probably take a pause on that for now until the bracket is released, as, as much as we want to start and as, as eager as we are to start formulating our opinions on the bracket. I just think that there is way too much that we don't know about yet, and a lot of it has to do with how these regions could break. Because to be quite honest, you go back to Purdue, they may face off against, say, Kentucky in the second round in an 8-9 sort of situation. I think there would probably be a lot of folks who would take Kentucky uh, in, in that in that scenario. But they may also run into a situation where they have teams that aren't able to defend Zach Eady or don't have the shooting that can, uh, that can down and put Purdue in a hole early. So I think all of that to say that it's going to be matchup-based. As I've said throughout the year, I think Houston is the best team. I think they've been the most consistent team despite some of their losses that they've had. And one of them is Alabama, who's been one of the best teams in the country. One of them was a one-point slip-up to Temple. But you take a team that's 27-2 and entering March, their losses are by two possessions and a one-point loss at home. That's a pretty good bet to take. So I'm still rocking with Houston. I think UCLA needs to receive a little bit more attention for what they've done. They've had their fair share of scares. Maybe they haven't had high-level signature wins that. A lot of folks like to see, but they've played at a very consistent level as well. So I think Houston and UCLA probably are my top two choices right now as far as national contenders are concerned. And I think that both of those teams have such a high floor because they defend at such a high rate as well. So I do agree with you as Eli Becker does great work over at EJXCBB is joining me on the podcast. And Eli, just want to throw this out there to you. Is there a game or two that you're taking a look at for Tuesday that you're really going to be having your eye on that is outside of these conference tournaments? Because a lot of teams in the power conference, they're wrapping things up. I certainly am fascinated to see what happens with Indiana facing off against an Iowa team that I have never seen a team have more demonstrative home and road offensive numbers than the Iowa Hawkeyes. It has been very, very drastic, to say the least. Obviously, we've got some great ACC action. We're going to have some SEC action, Big 12. So we've got a lot on the card for Tuesday. Is there a few games slash a few teams that you're going to be keeping your eye on? Yeah, absolutely. I think a good place to start here is with Villanova. And they're a team that has been largely off the radar basically since they played in the Phil Knight Invitational. And the 2-5 and start really put this team in a position where they couldn't necessarily bounce back from. But they've played like an NCAA tournament type team these last handful of weeks. They're now 
five and one over their last six games. The only loss was on the road to Providence, which situation where not a lot of teams can win i think they've really found their footing in these last couple of weeks and i know that they're not necessarily an at-large candidate they're not going to be with a 15 and 14 record but it would not surprise me at all if they're able to slide in get a reasonable seed for the big east tournament and if they're able to get the right draw it would not surprise me at all to see this team make some noise uh, in the big east tournament with the potential of possibly cutting down the nets i think that The Big East, it's been one of the better leagues in college basketball this season. But as we've seen and as we touched on earlier, a lot of these teams have had their blemishes. We've seen UConn and Creighton go through points in the season where they've looked kind of lost. Providence, they've probably been one of the more consistent teams in this league, but I don't know if their ceiling is necessarily that high. And then you take Xavier and Marquette. Both of those teams have been really, really good throughout the season too, but both teams have sub-75 defenses, same case with Providence. So there isn't really that team that is overwhelming on the defensive side. I think the same goes for Villanova, but they still have been able to find their footing of late. And I'd be really curious how they wrap up this season. And they make a road trip to Seton Hall. That's a team that defends at a high level, but just cannot score the basketball. They've gone through absolutely brutal offensive stretches. I think that's a winnable game for Villanova. And then they host uh, UConn on Saturday. And if they're able to beat UConn, man, that that puts a ton of momentum into Kyle Neptune's squad entering the Big East tournament. And that is not a team that I would like to face if they're able to figure things out. So I've got my eye on Villanova. I think there's a really big game in the mid-major ranks as well. Uh, Boise State hosts San Diego State. That is a massive one as far as the Mountain West title race is concerned. Boise State's a couple games back, but that's a game that I think they'd really like to have, especially having gone on the road to San Jose State this past weekend and suffering an overtime loss. I think they're trying to kind of remove that, better taste in their mouth. A loss to San Jose State isn't as bad as it as it usually is. That's now a top 100 team, but that's a big opportunity for Boise State to secure what would likely be a quad one victory come Selection Sunday. And that would pretty much put the final touches on on at least an at-large berth. I think that would pretty much seal the deal. So I'm curious to see how those teams respond. Plenty of bubble action out there. Michigan State, same thing for them. How do they recover from blowing that late lead against Iowa? Because that... It could, it could be, yeah, it could, it could be one of two things for them. They could either have that derail their season, they could bounce back from that and, and get a road win at Nebraska. So we'll see what happens with them as well. A very rare game of which a team scored 106 points of loss, <laughs> right. blowing a, I'm not even kidding here, 12 point lead in 90 seconds. Yeah, not great, <laughs> not, not great to say the least. But that is the opposite of Eli Becker, who is great. You guys over there at EJXCPB are doing absolutely incredible work. You guys are the opposite of Michigan State late in games. You guys actually close out unlike they did on Saturday. I know that you guys have a lot in the hopper just in terms of conference tournament week. And then, obviously, when it gets to the NCAA tournament, you guys are going to be locked, loaded, and ready for bears. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just what's on tap for you. Yeah, we appreciate it, Greg. As always, you can find our stuff on HeatCheckCBB.com. Our social media handles are at HeatCheckCBB. And man, with conference tournament play getting started, we're going to have plenty of written and podcast content over there. And you can follow us and follow along with all of our coverage. We'll have plenty of metrics and articles and podcasts and all that good stuff to get all of us ready for the NCAA tournament. So we absolutely can't wait for it. Absolutely. And I can't wait for it either because the gentlemen over there at HeatCheckCBB do such great work. The operator and the founder of that wonderful platform, that'd be Eli Becker, every single time he joins me on this podcast. 
Blends great insights, much like he did today. And you know what? Conference tournaments have started, so it's a lovely time of year. A big thanks to Eli for joining me right here on Cusco Soups. Now, part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis out of a game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Ghost Costumes with myself, Greg Eves Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Always great to get Eli Becker aboard. He does great work over there at eCheckCBB. He is the founder of that wonderful platform. Whenever he joins his podcast, Always does a great job shining a light on everything that we're getting in college basketball. Does a great job taking a look at the West Coast landscape of college basketball because he, much like myself, based out here in the Pacific time zone, but really everything that he covers, he does a great job with it. One, the hardest workers that you're going to find in all of college basketball. A little bit of a side note, he, much like myself, was on Oral Robertson off Ohio State in the NCAA tournament a few years ago. So we've got that bond. Always great to get a fellow Oral Roberts supporter on this podcast. Now it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNNRSCORTY1. Just a little bit of a side note that moving forward, the conference tournament games are going to be at the back half. So, like with the Horizon League conference tournament games, those are going to be more towards the back half after we do the normal games. And then the last games that we're going to be doing are going to be the Atlantic Sun and the Patriot League tournament as those are in the extra games board. So, do be mindful of that as we get started with 601, 602 on the betting board. Marquette hits the road face off against Butler. Butler is a 7 to an 8 point underdog. And your total on this game, it is anywhere between 142.5 and 143. I did make my total 143. I'm going to be looking to go over on the 142.5 now. It is a Butler team that has actually been able to be more stifling in terms of their defense. They have allowed fewer than 70 points in every game this month. They have not allowed an opponent to get to 70 points this month. As a matter of fact, the last time Butler was able to exceed 70 points, you have to go back 10 games ago when they played against Villanova on the 13th of January. But as we know, this is a Marquette team that they're looking to run it. They're looking to gun it. The last time these two teams played, it was just an almighty slog. That was a 60-52 to game. 
You saw both of those teams just firing up a bunch of bricks. Butler thought shot 38% from the floor. Marquette just 7-21 from three-point range. He had a combined 32 turnovers in the game. I do think that we are certainly going to be getting something much more up-tempo. Marquette, 72nd in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Butler, certainly a team that's looking to slow it down quite a bit more. They're more around 254th, but... Both of these defenses, they do leave a little bit of something to be desired, even with the rise up that we have seen out of Butler. They're still one or ninth in the country. It turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. This is Marquette team that's outside the top 75 with this regard as well. And Marquette, they just have so many guys that are able to bomb it from three-point range. Cam Jones is your main guy. He's been able to supply 15 points, shoots about 37% for three for Marquette team as a whole. They play at their fast tempo, but only turn the ball over 10.8 times per game. They do a good job of turning defense and offense as well. Among their top seven scores, six of them give you at least one steal per contest. Not a lot of rebounding on the team as Oso Ogadero. Only guy for Marquette that gives you north of five rebounds per game, but it's a sad sheet suffer 12 points, six boards, 3.2 assists, and Tyler Kolak. Big reason why. This Marquette team is as efficient as it is. 7.8 assists to 2.4 turnovers. Shoots 38% from three with a little bit over 12 points per game. And then for Butler, you do have guys that are able to shoot it from three-point range as well. Jaden Taylor, along with Chuck Harris, have been able to combine for 24 points per game. Harris shoots 35% from three-point range. Taylor closer to 33% from the outside. Butler as a whole, they only turn the ball for about 11.9 times per game. They don't have a lot of rebounding themselves. Mandy Bates, the only guy on this roster that's able to give you north of four and a half rebounds per game. 12 points, 5.7 boards, 2 blocks per game. I do think that we are going to be seeing things be a little bit more up-tempo in this game. Marquette, ever since that game that they did play against Butler, they have been able to heighten things up 70-plus points in every single game ever since then. And, well, they themselves have given up at least 68 points in every one of those games, 71-plus in 4 out of the 5. I do think the Marquette going to get a little bit more of their tempo in this game, and I do think that this is going to be a game that is going to be close enough for late-game fouling. We saw Butler do a solid job of being able to hold in there game number one because Marquette doesn't have a lot on glass, so I could only set my line at seven Inkle field outs. I think warrants some good marks in terms of home court advantage. I'm going to be taking a look at the eight with Butler, and I did set my total 143, so here on 142.5, also going over to go along with Butler. 603-604. On the betting board, Miami of Ohio, it's a face off against Western Michigan. Western Michigan is a one-point favorite, and your total on this game is 147 to 148, and I did say Western Michigan is a two-point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the one. Western Michigan, I think, is going to have the best player out there on the floor in Lamar Norman Jr. He's able to give you 17 and a half points, three assists. Shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range. It is a Western Michigan team that they're looking to play quite a bit more slowly. They're in the bottom one in terms of total possessions per game. Defense has been a nightmare. They're am 59th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. It does get a little bit of a boost up at home, though. They do give up 8.7 points fewer per one-hour possessions when they are at home. Meanwhile, you've got a Miami of Ohio team that's right on par, 348th in the country with this regard, and Western Michigan should be able to win the battle down low. Titus Wright has been able to give you 8 points, 5 boards, and then Marquise Hastings has been able to supply 9.2 rebounds per game as well. You throw in there someone like a Javon Hanna who's been able to give you 6 points, 3 boards, is able to pop a few threes in Western Michigan. I think it's a little bit more well-rounded for Miami of Ohio. You just need to get a little bit more on someone like a Billy Smith, a 6'7 freshman that shoots 36 percent from three, but his production has taken a big giant fall off. 
He's given the team a combined eight points in the team's last five games. That's just pretty unacceptable. You've got a big three with Miami of Ohio, Makai Larry. 17.5 points, four assists, 1.3 seals. Shoots 36.5% from three. Anderson Mermbo is a 300-pound load down low that gives you a block, six boards, 14 points per game. And the Morgan Safford, 6'5", Swiss Army Knife guy, 2.5 assists, 15.5 points, six boards. Shoots 36% from three. But past that, you really don't have anything else with this Miami of Ohio team. Now, Miami of Ohio has actually been able to tighten up the screws a little bit with their defense. They have given up fewer than 70 points in four of their last five games, so an exception. They went up against Toledo, and they got dump trucked in that game. They are going up against the Western Michigan team that scored 65 points or fewer in four of their last five games, but that time Western Michigan was at home. They got a 10-point win over Ball State. They were able to do a good job holding in there on the road against Eastern Michigan over the weekend as well. Their defense has been a little bit better, giving up 68 or fewer in two out of their last three games as well. So you've got a pair of teams that aren't necessarily playing super-duper up-tempo. Their defense has been not great, to say the least, all season long, but I do think that you got a situation of something's got to give, and I do think that Western Michigan is going to be able to control things on the glass, which will allow them to get the W in the spot, which is why I did set Western Michigan as a favorite of two points. I'm going to be willing to lay the one in this spot. I do think that both of these teams are improving a little bit with their defense. Both of these offenses also leave quite a bit of something to be desired. Miami of Ohio, 74 points or fewer in five out of their last six games. So, in circumstance where I set my total 142, diving under, and want to lay it with Western Michigan. 605, 606 on the board. LaSalle, it's the road face off against Dayton. Dayton is a favorite of 14 points with your total between 135.5 and 136.5. With Dayton, I can only make them an 11.5 point favorite. I'm going to be one. Take the 14 with LaSalle. LaSalle has been leaving something to be desired with their defense, while Dayton has been one of the best defenses in all of college basketball. I mean, you take a look at this Dayton team, 20th in the country. It turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. LaSalle 233rd, but I do like the way that this LaSalle team has been able to come together on offense as it's a LaSalle bunch has been able to get to at least 68 points in all but one of their games here in the month of February. You've got a do-it-all player that's able to give you 14 points, four assists, and Khalil Brantley, who's not been a great three-pointer, but does give you a seal and a half per game, gives you about four and a half rebounds per game, and that's a big thing for LaSalle. They're going to need to hold up on the glass because Dayton has Dayron Holmes, Alon, Tumani, Kamara. These two guys as a collective are able to give you 16.7 rebounds per contest. Kamara, a little bit more of a true post player, gives you a steal, a block, 13 and a half points per game. Holmes, more like 18.3 points. Sable pop more three. Shoots about 33% from the outside. 1.8 blocks per game. But even though they play slowly, they're in the bottom 40 in terms of total possessions per game. They do turn the ball over about 12.7 times per contest. That is going to be a little bit costly for them, in my opinion. They have been able to get quite a bit back in the backcourt. Kobe Elvis, he has re-entered the building. He's been able to give the team 8.5 points, 3 assists per game. And then Malachi Smith, his scoring is down from what it's been in past years. But he's done a great job rolling out the ball. 5.5 assists. 1.9 turnovers per game has scored in single digits in four of the last five games, but that facilitation is exactly what this team does need because they've got guys like Mustafa Amzel that put the biscuit in the basket, but someone like an Anwar Gill for LaSalle and his versatility, two and a half assists, three boards, eight points. I do think that that is going to keep LaSalle lively in this game. It is a LaSalle team that is a little bit more of a mid-tempo team, right around 131st in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Defense certainly leaving something to be desired, though they've given up 72 points or fewer in three of their last five games. The offense has been there, though. This is a Dane squad that have been able to do a really good job with their defense. They have given up 68 points or fewer in now six out of their last seven games, and I do think that Dane is going to be able to get this game played a little bit more on their terms, but I do think the LaSalle does enough of being able to 
on by committee to be a beholden in this game, and I do think that Dane is going to be hurting themselves in terms of the spread with the way that they turn the ball over. I set my line at 11.5, so we'll take 14 with LaSalle. Made my total 131.5, so also diving under 607, 608 on the betting board. Akron plays us to Ball State, and Ball State is a underdog of 7.5 points. Your total on this game is 141, and with Ball State, I did set them as a underdog of 5 points, so I'm going to be looking to take the 7.5 with Akron. It's a little bit of a top-heavy team, and the guys at the top are very good for this team. Enrique Freeman, I mean, how about a guy that's able to average a double-double? 16 points, 11 boards, 1.2 blocks per game. Xavier Castaneda is the best scorer out there on the floor. Shooting over 40% from three on volume, 21.5 points, 2.9 assists per game, but who steps up past that? You've got Greg Triple, who gives you right around 6.5 points per contest. You've been able to get like 5 points per game out of Nate Johnson. These guys just have not necessarily been able to do a lot now. They do something on defense. This has been an Akron team that all year long has been solid with that regard, ranking 82nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They go up against the Ball State team as a lot, at least 70 points in each out of their last five games. But for Akron, their defense has been acting up a little bit as well. A lot of it has just been going up against Toledo because in their games against Toledo and Ohio, it really does heighten their defensive numbers. I think that those are like the only two teams within the conference that they've allowed north of 70 points to everyone else. They do a good job against you face off against those two teams. Not so terrific, but you do take a look at this Ball State punch. I do think that they're going to be able to match up down low because they do have Peyton Sparks, who's been able to supply 12.8 points in half boards. I like the matchup that he's got up against Enrique Freeman and then Jalen Sellers along with Jerron Coleman are going to be able to do a solid job. Neither of these guys are quite Xavier Castaneda, but they do combine to be able to give you a little bit over 28 points per game. Sellers shoots 47.5% from three. Coleman doles out 3.8 assists per game. You've been able to get about 3.3 assists, 1.3 steals, and 12 points per game out of Marius Jacobs as well. This Ball State team has really been able to click firing off cylinders. Ball State does leave a little bit of something to be desired on defense as this team is outside the top 175 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Not too much of a fall for the the road, though. They only give up 3.2 points more per one-hour possessions in a road-slash-shoot-record environment. It's a Ball State team that has been able to do a rock-solid job with their offense as well, getting to at least 68 points in every single game in their last five. And in the one game that they didn't reach 68 here in the month of February, they held Central Michigan to 51. I do think the Ball State matches up all down low. I do think that this is going to be a lower possession game. Akron right around 250th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. So I did set my total 135. I think that this game is going to be played in the trees. Going to be taking a look the under. I think the Ball State holds in there. I set them as a 5-point underdog so we'll take the 7.5 to go along with the under. 609-610 on the board. We have VCU playing us to St. Louis. St. Louis is a underdog of 6 to 6.5 points with your total between 142.5 and 143. Made VCU the 7 point favorite. One lay 6 to 6.5 with VCU. This team is just absolutely grinding it out on defense and for St. Louis you've really got one guy on the roster that gives you north of 5 rebounds per game and a defense that has been lackluster all year long. 175th in the country returns points a lot on a per possession basis and this team has not done a great job of traveling giving up 10.6 points more per one hour possessions when they do leave home. Meanwhile VCU 6 in the country. Turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis. Now, it's going to be a battle of strength on strength. St. Louis does have the top leader in assists per game in all of college basketball in Yuri Collins. 11.3 points, 10.2 assists. Does turn the ball over three and a half times per game, but he has been doing a masterful job of doling out the ball. Meanwhile, you've got a VCU team that is a top 20 team in the country. Turns the turnovers force on a per-possession basis. 
For VCU, they're one of the rare teams that forces a lot of turnovers, but if they don't get that turnover, they do a good job of getting back on defense. As you've got Jaden Deloach, Brandon Johns, Jameer Watkins, who all give this team at least five rebounds per game. This trio has been able to combine for about 31 points per game. They don't necessarily shoot it well from three. Jaden Nunn has been able to do much more of that, shooting 39.5% for the outside. He gives you nine points per game, but this team really operates through Ace Baldwin. 13 points, 5.8 assists, 2.5 steals per game. Shoots 36% from three-point range, and you just take a look at the last time these two teams played. You have to go back a little bit over a month or so ago to February 3rd. VCU went on the road. They got the job done by kind of 73-65 to on a night where St. Louis shot 8 of 20 from three. VCU just a 4 of 17 from three, but they won the turnover battle 14-10. to They won the rebound battle. They did the little things well. Ace Baldwin also had 37 points in that game. I don't think that that's going to duplicate itself. Also, I don't think Gibson Jimerson has been able to give this St. Louis team 14.5 points per game, shoots 39.5% for three. I don't think he's going to supply 24 either, but I just do think that VCU is the more well-tied-together team. Now, you do have quite a few guys that do throw in there like six, six six-and-a-half points per game. For the St. Louis team, like a sincere Parker, Jake Forrester gives you six and a half points, four and a half rebounds per game, but the lack of just really hitting the glass and Javante Perkins along Javon Pickett combining for about 21 points per game. You expected much more out of them. St. Louis, one of the biggest disappointments in all of college basketball, going up against a VCU team that just stifles on defense. I think this is going to be much like what we saw the first time around when VCU was able to get a 73-65 to win. I did set my line at 7. I'm going to be willing to lay the points with VCU. I did make my total 139, so you're at 142.5, 143. You could also be diving under 6-11, 6-12 on the bidding board. Boston College hits the road faceoff against Wake Forest. Wake Forest is an 8.5 point favorite. Seeing straight 8 out there as well. Your total, it is 147. I did set my total 145. I'm going to be willing to dive under. Boston College is playing a little bit faster this year than they have in past years, and Wake Forest is a team that ranks in the top 125 in terms of possessions per game as well. Boston College clocking in more around 241st in the country with this regard. Wake Forest more around 86th, and he just expected more out of Boston College on defense, especially away from home. They're 198th in the country. in turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, giving up 11.9 points more per one hour possessions when they do leave home. Meanwhile, Wake Forest a grody 232nd, but I do think that for Wake Forest, they are going to be able to do a solid job with their overall versatility of just giving Boston College some fits. A Boston College team that does not shoot a ball from three-point Cameron Hildreth, Austin Carr, they combine for 24 points, 11.5 boards. Both of these guys have size and combine to shoot about 32.5% from three-point range. Tyree Appleby, most versatile player out there on the floor, 18.5 points, 6 assists, 1.7 seals, shoots 37% from three. And then you've got sharpshooters in Davion Williamson, Damari Monsanto. They combine to shoot just below 40% from three. Both of these guys followed Steve Forbes from ETSU. Williamson, about 7.5 points per game. Monsanto, more on 13.5 points per game. And then for Boston College, they've been relying upon Quinn Post to do everything for the team. 7-footer that missed the first, I would say, 13 or so games of the season. He's been terrific. 16 points, 6 boards, shooting 44.5% from 3. But as a whole, there's a Boston College team that shoots 31.7% from 3. Despite their slow tempo, 12.6 turnovers per game. You've been able to have Jaden Zachary along Jameer Langford combined for about 17.5 points per game. Makai Ash and Langford give you 12.5 points per contest. But outside of post, 
You've got one other player that gives you an earth of 4.3 rebounds per game. That'd be TJ Bickerstaff. I do think that Boston College is going to get eaten alive on the glass. You've got good versatility with this Wake Forest team. You've got a Boston College team that has not done a ton with their offense recently. 63 points or fewer in three out of their last four games. Has been a defense that certainly has left quite a bit of something to be desired, giving up at least 69 points in four of their last five games at Wake Forest. It doesn't sound like much, but if I'll do other last four opponents to 70 points or fewer, both of those games have come at home. At home, Wake Forest has been respectable on defense. On the road, not so much. And because Boston College does play at a little bit of a slower style, I do think that that is going to diminish its total just a little bit. So my total 145 diving under. I think Wake Forest wins from within. Won't delay the number set Wake Forest as a nine-point favorite. 613, 614 on the betting board. Central Michigan is going to be playing us at Toledo. Toledo is a 15 to a 16-point favorite with your total 150 and a half. Set my total at 146. I'm going to be looking at the under now. Toledo is a rocket ship. They are in the top 45 in terms of total possessions frame. A top 5 team in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. The reason why I'm taking a look at the under here though is because Central Michigan has not held up their end of the bargain. This team has scored 59 points or fewer in 2 out of their last 3 games and 66 points or fewer in 3 out of their last 5. Central Michigan has been able to exceed the 70 point plateau 3 times in their last 20 games against D1 competition now. With Central Michigan out of conference, they're honestly a top 125 team. There's points a lot on a per possession basis. This is signed at 223rd in the country. Here in conference, things have really went downward, especially with losing their top scorer, Jesse Zarzula, who was also very good on the defensive side of things as well, averaging 16.5 points, shot 35.5% from three-point range. Central Michigan, 16 turnovers per game, shoots 29.3% from three-point range, and currently has one player on the roster that gives you north of 4.4 rebounds per game. That'd be Brian Taylor. I said do it all now with 14.6.7 rebounds per game. Toledo should be able to just eat the lunch of Central Michigan down low as right now for the Toledo team. Out of your top five scores, all of them give you at least 3.9 rebounds per game. JT Schulmate, Cedric Milner Jr., both guys have size and combine 32.5 points. They combine for about 10.7 rebounds and both shoot above 39.5% from three. Toledo, despite their very, very fast tempo, the team only turns ball over 9.8 times per game. They shoot as a collective 39.5% from three as a top 10 mark in all of college basketball. Now Toledo, they're in 72nd in the country. There's points a lot on a per possession basis, but Ray J. Dennis, this guy is truly special. 18.9 points, 5.9 assists, seal and a half per game. Absolutely love what he's able to bring to the table. And for Toledo, his team has been able to exceed the 84-point plateau in each of their last four games, but the defense has been able to really start to uh, tighten up as well. 71 points or fewer surrendered in four out of those last five games, so there has been marked improvement from the Salido defense. It doesn't sound like much, but they've now given up 74 points or fewer in seven out of their last eight games as well. I do think that it's just a case where Central Michigan doesn't hold up their end of the bargain on offense just because they have been so anemic and they face off against some very up-tempo teams. They couldn't get to 40 against Buffalo. So it is a circumstance where I just think that Central Michigan comes up short and the injuries have just caused this team to be a big giant stink burger. I said Toledo is an 18-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the 15 in the spot. Maybe my total 146 as well. Going to be diving under to go along Toledo. 615, 616 on the betting board. Duke is going to be playing out NC State. NC State, a 4.5 to a 5-point underdog with your total between 144 and 145. 
I did set NC State as a four and a half point dog here at five. I'm going to be willing to take the points. NC State has been able to do a better job with their defense this year. Now, they're going up against a Duke team that sees a nice spike up whenever they're at home. Shock, shock, surprise, surprise at Cameron Indoor. Duke is playing a little bit better as they do allow 10.2 points fewer per one hour possessions while they're at home. They're overall 52nd in the country. Turns points a lot on a per possession basis. NC State, they've seen this summer go up to 101st. NC State has had a little bit of a rough go of it on defense as they have now given up at least 72 points each of their last four games, but Duke still leaves something to be desired with their outside shooting. Bringing back Derek White at his big, he's been able to give the team a little bit over eight points, shooting over 40% from three-point range, but they need a little bit more to go along with him. Jacob Granderson has had some signs of brightness recently, but he's still only averaging five points per game. This team seems like it's just very reliant upon Kyle Filipowski, 15 points, nine rebounds per game, and while NC State might not necessarily be able to match up with him, they do get Jack Clark back in full, and that should be able to help out on the glass. He's been able to give this team 9.7 boards when he's been out there thus far this season. And then they've got a nice scoring duo in Terquavian Smith, Jarkel Joyner. These two guys are combined for 34.6 points per game. They're okay three-point shooters, but I mean, they combine to shoot about 34% from three-point range. A guy that you're really looking to to be able to go bombs away from three-point range, that'd be Casey Marcel. And Marcel has been able to shoot about 43% from distance. He chips in there a little bit over a seal, 12.5 points per game. Having DJ turn it up. Burns be a double-figure scorer with about five to six rebounds per game has been helpful for the team as well. Jeremy Roach on the flip side for Duke. He's been coming into his own a little bit more. Been able to give out three and a half assists about two turnovers. Supplies a double figure amount of points and Derek Lively has been lively in the post. A big reason why the Duke team has been able to do a nice job with their defense recently. You've got these two teams going in opposite directions. Duke has not allowed a single opponent to exceed 70 points this month. NC State has been sliding with their defense, but their offense has been able to ascend as well, so it's a good old situation of something's got to give. Last time these two teams played, NC State dominated in January by a count of 84-60. to 60. In that game, Duke had 21 turnovers. I certainly don't think that we're going to be seeing a turnover margin of 21-6, to 6, but I do think that you are going to be seeing this game close enough to have some late game falling. You've got an NC State team that I think is going to be able to do an okay job on the glass. I don't think that they win the battle on the glass last time these two teams played. They were pretty much even up 38-38, to 38, but much of that is because Duke was just laying brick. But I do think that NC State going to be able to hold in there. I like the way that this team has been able to fortify themselves overall, so I'm going to take five or more with NC State in this spot. I did make my total a 142.5. I think that things are going to be similar to how they were the first time around, only we're going to see fewer steals and we're going to see, be seeing fewer, shall we say, run-out layups because that's the way that NC State was able to generate a lot of their offense. Duke in the bottom one in terms of total possessions per game. NC State in the top 75, but I do think that NC State going to get back to playing a little bit more defense to so take a look at the under and five plus with NC State. 617, 618 on the betting board. Syracuse plays also George uh, Tech. Georgia Tech is a 8.5 point underdog, seeing a straight 8 out there as well. Total is anywhere between 144.5 and 145. And with Syracuse, they certainly are going to be leaning upon Jesse Edwards to be able to get this cover, and I think that they're going to be able to get it. I set them as a 9.5 point favorite. You've got a Georgia Tech squad that just really doesn't have a lot of rebounding right now. You've got one guy in Javon Franklin who's been pretty solid. Comes in from South Alabama, 9.3 points, 7 boards. He's been able to supply a block and a half and a seal and a half per contest, but Jesse Edwards, he's going to be able to take over this game in my opinion. 14 points, 10 boards, 2.7 blocks, 1.2 steals per game, and then Syracuse 
team that really doesn't go too deep with their bench. That's a good old Jim Bayheim special. I do think that they're going to get quite a bit out of Joe Girard and Judah Mintz. First time these two teams played, it was 80-63. to Syracuse was able to get the job done with Girard in that game, having 28 points. He and Mintz combined for 13 assists to three turnovers in that game. Something that Georgia Tech is doing much less of this year is being able to generate those turnovers, and it's a big reason why this defense has suffered. Georgia Tech, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, have slid all the way down to 231st, and they are lying about 6.5 points more per 100 possessions when they leave home. Gerard and Mintz overall for the season are averaging 33 points per game. Gerard, your main three-point shooter, shooting 39% from distance. Mintz is able to give you about two steals, 4.4 assists. Gerard is able to give you three assists per game as well, and then on the Georgia Tech side, you've only got one double-figure score, and Miles Kelly has been able to do a good job giving the team 13 points per contest. He's been a nice constant for the team, but certainly he needs a little bit more help around him. You do have quite a few guys on this roster that they are going to be able to contribute right around like eight or so points per game. Kyle Sturvin, seven and a half points. He's about 33% for three. Doles out three assists per game. Davion Smith, eight points, five and a half boards three and a half assists per game, but Georgia Tech is just really lacking those creators. Now, it is a Georgia Tech team has been a little bit better with their offense recently, getting to at least 68 points in each of their last six games. Meanwhile, got a Syracuse defense that has given up at least 72 points in each of their last four games, but it is also a Syracuse bunch that has gotten to at least 73 points in each of their last five games. I do think that Syracuse going to be able to do a much more solid job with their offense. Benny Williams is going to be able to go into a little bit of takeover mode down low. I do think that this is still a little bit too lofty of a total because neither of these teams playing super duper up tempo. You've got a Syracuse bunch as right around 160th in the country in terms of total possessions. Graham, Georgia Tech, to our ninth in the country with this regard. And for Georgia Tech, much of their offense has come against, shall we say, spotty defenses. So I did set Syracuse as a 9.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Made my total 143.5, so also going to be diving under. 619, 620 on the betting board. Clemson, it's the road to face off against Virginia. Virginia is a 6.5 point favorite with your total between 129.5. This opened up at 130.5, and seems as though we have dried up to all 129.5. And here at 130, I'm going to be willing to go over. It is a Clemson defense. Well, it has not been so savory recently as they have now given up at least 71 points in five out of their last six games. And they go up against a Virginia group that they still rank in the top 50 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. I do recognize that they have allowed 65 or fewer in five out of their last six games. But things have not necessarily been great on that front either. 45th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Clemson, they have fallen out of the top 90. They're up to 91st in the country with this, and I do think that Clemson is going to be a hold in there against a Virginia team that looks to be a bit flawed, especially down low. I'm going to be willing to take the 6F with Clemson, set them as a 6-point underdog. Right now, Virginia has one guy that gives you north of 4.6 rebounds per game. That'd be Jaden Gardner, and he's been able to supply 11.5 points, 5.5 boards per contest, and it is a Virginia team that turns the steals force on a per-possession basis. They're a top 100 team with this regard. They shoot 36.5% from 3-point range with having a pair of nice creators in Kia Clark and Reese Beekman giving you 10.6 assists to a combined 3.5 turnovers per game, and that is part of the reason why I like the over. Even though Virginia is a top 
10 team in terms of fewest possessions per game. They only turn the ball over 8.7 times per game, so you don't have a lot of wasted possessions. Clemson, they do the little things well as well. They're up to right around 200th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. They only turn the ball over 11.2 times per contest. They do shoot 79.5% the free line and make 36.5% of their threes. As Hunter Tyson, P.J. Hall, I think that Virginia is going to have some massive issues guarding these two guys. They combine for 31 points, just under 15 rebounds per game. These are two guys with size. They're able to stretch the floor. And then you've got Chase Hunter back at the full, giving four and a half assists to about 2.3 turnovers, 14 and a half points per contest. They've dealt with some injuries to guys like a Brevin Galloway, Alex Hemingway. These guys are back at the fold. Hemingway has been playing very limited minutes, so they're just trying to look to get him back in the full. But Clemson does have some relatively solid depth. You do have Caden Shadrick down low for Virginia. He's been able to do a nice job, giving you a right around a little bit over a block and a steal per game with six points per contest. Ben Vanderplas is able to give you four and a half boards. He shoots in the mid-30s from three-par range as well. But I do think that this is going to be a game which both of these teams are going to be able to go bombs away from three-par range. Clemson has certainly been able to do a great job with their offense recently. The defense leaving a lot to be desired with Virginia. It has been an offense that has been struggling a little bit. They have scored 63 points of fear in each other last four games, but they had a stretch other than against North Carolina, which they played against some of the slowest teams in the ACC. Clemson, vice versa, they did play against some of the fastest, but I think with Clemson's versatility and just the way that they rebound with having Tyson and Hall, that is going to keep them lively in this game, which is why I did set my total at at a 130. I'm going to be looking to go over. I think that late game following could be able to help out with this one as well. And with Virginia, going to make them a six-point favorite. So we'll take six and a half with Clemson. And I'm going to be taking a look at the 129 and a half or less over. 621-622 is the DK Nation pick. Iowa hits the road face-off against Indiana. Indiana is a five and a half point favorite. Your total on this game is between 155 and 155 and a half. This opened up at 156 and a half. Certainly, I would like to have the opener a little bit more, but still like it here at 155 and a half. My write-up is going to be on the under. I set my total at 150, and what I've noticed with Iowa, they have a very, very big home and road splits, and I'm sure that you've noticed them as well. Because with Iowa, they are averaging north of 23 and a half points more per one earned possessions at home rather than on the road. And how about this for a split? They shoot 39.3% from three-point range at home. In a road slash neutral court environment, this diminishes to 26.3%. There's three teams that shoot a worse three-point shooting percentage away from home than Iowa. It is absolutely stark, and it's a big reason why I'm going to be one back in Indiana. I did set Indiana as a six-point favorite. I think that they're going to do a good job of making Iowa settle for those threes that they struggle with because you've got Trace Jackson Davis. It's 11 rebounds and 2.8 blocks per game, both ranked sixth among qualifying D1 players in all of college basketball. He's able to supply 20 points per game, Indiana. They've got some demonstrative home and road splits themselves. In their last seven home games, they have allowed 69 points or fewer in six of them. They give up 14 points fewer per runner possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment. And Jalen Chufino has been able to come along for the ride for this Indiana team without Xavier Johnson. 13 and a half points, four boards, four assists, shoots in the mid-30s from three-part range. You've got Miller Cup, who's been able to shoot 46.5% per three. He gives you eight points per game. Tamar Bates shoots 40% per three, six and a half points per game. Flip side for 
Iowa. They are going to have to go up against guys like Malik Renu, Race Thompson, along with our good friend Mr. Jackson Davis. Although you do have Philip Aracha, who's been able to give you seven and a half boards, 14 points per game. And Chris Murray still giving you 20 points, eight rebounds, shoots in the mid 30s from three. And it's rather remarkable what we're seeing out of Iowa because among your top seven scorers, none of them shoot below 32.3% from three. None of them shoot above 34.3% from three. But right, you're all very, very equal. So I find that to be a tad bit hilarious. And you do know that Iowa's going to take care of the ball. They're going to turn the ball over about 10 or times per game, but their lack of made threes does not allow them to get their tempo away from home. They're averaging about 4.8 possessions per game fewer away from home and since these two teams last played, that was a airbrain game in early January, which Iowa won by kind of 91 to 89. Ever since that game, Indiana slowed down their pace. They were in the top 75 in terms of total possessions per game. Now they're a mid-depot team that has been playing at six half possessions fewer per game since that last affair. So I do think that this is going to be a slowed down game. I do think that Indiana Indiana is going to be able to get their revenge, control things down low. Iowa has scored 75 plus points at every one of their home games this year. 68 points or fewer in each of their last four road games. DK Nation right up on the under with Indiana. Not willing to lay anything more than the 5.5. I set them as a 6 point favorite, but also willing to lay the 5.5 to go along with the DK Nation right up of the under. 6.3, 6.4 on the betting board. Florida is going to be in the road face off against Georgia. The Florida Georgia line has Georgia as a 1.5 to a 2 point underdog for you country music fans. And your total is between 143.5 and 144. I said Georgia is one half point favorite. I'm going to be one to take them out right on the money line. This Florida team just does not look the same without Con Castleton. And you really just have to check out the numbers on this Florida team with slash without Con Castleton. Because if you look overall for the season, Florida doing a good job on the glass. They're a top 75 team. It turns points a lot on a per possession basis. Florida's outplayed three games without Colin Castleton. They've been able to get to at least 70 points or two of them, but they have allowed 84, 82, and 88 points to Arkansas. Kentucky and Vanderbilt. Not so great. Georgia, their defense is starting to go down the toilet bowl as well. They have allowed at least 85 points in each other last three games. Offense has been a show of itself. 65 points or fewer in their last four, but I think they're going to exploit a Florida team that just at this point has nothing down low. Scary Terry Roberts, Gary Oquendo, both of these guys have been able to combine for in that neighborhood about 26 points per contest. None of these guys shoot a well from three. Georgia is collected. They shoot about 32.5% from three-point range. They do an okay job with their three-point shooting defense, but I think that that's just a byproduct of the SEC having a lack of shooters in general. Meanwhile, you take a look at Florida, and right now, your leading rebounder without Colin Castleton is Alex Fudge. Six points, four and a half rebounds per game. Florida's a whole shoots 32% per three. Will Richard gives you 10 points per game, but they're really going to be looking a lot more to Riley Kugel, who's been able to come on in recent games in the three games without Colin Castleton. He's been able to average right around 20 points per affair, so he's been able to do a nice job there, combining 20.3 points per game in those three games. You do have Kyle Lofton, who's able to give you three and a half assists per game, but this Florida team just looks completely lost in the wilderness right now. It's a Georgia team that has been all sorts of inconsistent, but if you told Georgia fans coming into the year that you get 16 wins, I'm sure that they would take it. Certainly more than our good friend Tom Crean would have ever been able to get at Georgia because, I mean, that was not great to say the least, but I do think that things are going to be a little bit more tame in this spot. Georgia has been struggling with their offense. It's been a three-point shooting 
Defense has overall been okay this year. You've got a Florida team that they just have nothing on the boards whatsoever. And I will say for Georgia, we've only got one guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game and Matthew Alexander Moncrief. But I think that that's going to be just enough for them to be able to get it done on their own floor. And a little bit of a motivational spot with Mike White going up against his old team. I did set Georgia's one and a half point favorite. I'm willing to take Georgia outright on the money line. And I made my total 143 and a half, 144 higher. Looking at the under and looking at Georgia on the money line. 625, 626 on the board. Ohio hits the road face off against Kent State. Kent State is a 7.5 to an 8.5 point favorite with your total between 145.5 and 146.5 with Kent State. Made them an 8.5 point favorite. This actually opened up at 9. So now that we have seen the drop off with regards to the summer, I am going to be willing to lay the points with Kent State. Kent State has been able to do a stifling job with their defense all season long. A top 20 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and they go up against an Ohio team that overall for the year has been a disaster on defense. 258th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and especially on the road. When it comes to our road slash huge court environment for Ohio, you're giving up 14.3 points more per one earned possessions than they do at home. But all of a sudden, Ohio has been able to click a little bit more with their defense. And I do think that that is going to be keeping things a little bit more low scoring. You take a look at this Ohio bunch, and they have now allowed 68 points or fewer in three out of their last four games. They are coming off of giving up an 85 spot, though, to Miami of Ohio. And Ohio, their biggest advantage is going to be down low. Dwight Wilson has been able to give you 16 points, 9.3 rebounds per game. But with Kent State, this team does such a good job of being able to generate turnovers. They're a top 15 team in the country in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis with Malik Jacobs generating 2.9 steals per game. That's the top five mark in all of college basketball. He also throws in there 5.1 rebounds, 3.6 assists, 12.5 points per game, and then sincere carry. Five assists, 1.7 steals, 16.5 points per game. If this team has one bugaboo, it's at Carey and Jacobs. They combine to shoot about 27.5% from three. All in all, Kent State shoots 33.5% from the outside with Three guys that give you between 5 and 5.1 rebounds per game to lead the way. Silron Hornbeek, along with Byron Thomas, both give you about five boards per contest. Meanwhile, for Ohio, you do have a glut of three-point shooters. Jalen Hunter, your main point guard, 4.3 assists, 12.5 points. Shoots 40.7% from three-point range. Miles Brown, 45.5% three-point shooter with about 10.5 points. A little bit over a steal per contest. You've been able to get 48 and a half percent three-point shooting with right around six and a half points per game out of Elmore James, who's been able to emerge a little bit throughout the season as well. But with Ohio not necessarily having a lot down low other than Wilson, it is an Ohio team that's been able to take care of the ball relatively well themselves, only about 11 and a half turnovers per game. But I do think that Kent State going to get their style on this one. It's a Kent State team that's allowed 70 points or fewer in uh, all but three of their last 16 games. I do think that Kent State is going to be able to do a tremendous job with their defense. Slow this game down. Semi-total at 144.5. Kent State about 130th in the country in terms of total possessions. Graham, Ohio in that neighborhood as well. I do think that Kent State's defense wins out. One to lay the 7.5 with Kent State and looking at the under. 627-628 on the betting board. Bowling Green plays out to Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan is an underdog of 4 to 3.5 points in your total. It is 159. I did set my total at a 150. 59. I'm going to be waiting on a little bit of a line move because this did open at a 159.5. We get back to a 159.5. I'm going to be willing to go under in this spot. It's an Eastern Michigan team that certainly has been all over the place 
this season they go up against the Bowling Green team that ranks in the bottom 75 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Eastern Michigan more in the bottom 40 and both of these teams equal with regards to their tempo. Both of these teams between 55th and 65th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Bowling Green does see a little bit of a boost up with their defense when they're at home but they still rank 330th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and for Bowling Green it's not as if they do a supreme job down low. Rashawn Agee and Chandler Turner down for what? These two guys they have both been able to give you right in that neighbor to 5.6 rebounds per game. They combined for 19 points per game. It's really Leon Ayers the third who, with his versatility, headlines the team. 17 points, 4.1 rebounds, 3.1 assists. Shoots 49% from three. Caden Menethy shoots 39.5% from the outside. 11 points per game. And Samari Curtis gives you four assists per game. But guys like Brenton Mills not taking off has hurt this Bowling Green team. Meanwhile, you do have an Eastern Michigan bunch that has the best player out there on the floor. That would be Imani Bates. 20 points, 6 boards. Shoots about 34% from three. as a 6'10 do-it-all player. He's the only guy in the roster, though, that gives you north of 4.1 rebounds per game. Ty Acuff, Noah Farrakhan, they've been able to combine for 26.5 points, right around 5 assists per game. But Eastern Michigan, they look to play up-tempo. They only turn the ball for 12 times per game, and they do shoot 77% of the free throw line, but they're only making 31.8% of their threes, while having one guy that gives you north of 4.1 rebounds per game. That's not so great, and the offense has been stuck in the mud as well. 66 points or fewer in four out of their last five games. You got a Bowling Green team that they have just been giving up points upon points. 74-plus points surrendered and now each out of their last seven games. Every game in the month of February, they've given up at least 74, so that's not great to say the least. And the last time these two teams played, Bowling Green completely dump-trucked Eastern Michigan. 91-65 to was final now when Eastern Michigan went 3-22 of from 3. They shot 28% from the floor. No question about it. I think that they're going to be a little bit better in this spot. Do I think Eastern Michigan is going to lose the battle on the glass, though, once again? Yes, and I do think that the overall play of Bowling Green is better. Eastern Michigan has the best player out there on the floor. Bowling Green is by far, in my opinion, the better team, though. So I did set Bowling Green as a five-point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the number. If we get back to that opener of 159.5 or higher, I'm also going to be looking under as I set my total at a 159. 629, 630 on the betting board. Buffalo hits a road face-off against Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois is an underdog of one to one and a half points. Your total on game is between 153 and 153.5. I mean, Buffalo 3.5-point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay this summer. It's a Buffalo team that is coming off of giving up, and I'm not even kidding here, 35 points to Central Michigan. In between there, they allowed 85 to Ohio, 86 to Akron, and 101 to Toledo. So certainly a big, giant outlier in that stretch. But as I said, it is a Buffalo team that certainly has been struggling a little bit more with their offense. They have scored 71 points or fewer in each of their last five games. It is a team, though, that, in my opinion, might have one of the best players out there on the floor in Curtis Jones. Right around 15 points, 4.9 rebounds, 3 assists. Shoots 35% for 3 for a Buffalo team as a whole. They shoot about 32.5% from 3 point range of 14.5 turnovers per game. It is a concern, but it's not necessarily as big of one because it is a Buffalo team that plays super-duper up-tempo. They are 7th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. They go up against a Northern Illinois team that has cranked up their tempo a little bit this year as well. Northern Illinois up to 59th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Northern Illinois, they're a team that turns Bolivar right in the neighborhood about 14 times per game as well. Northern Illinois, 241st of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they don't get too much of a boost being at home. They only give up 2.6 points fewer per one hundred possessions at home rather than in a road-slash-shoot-court environment now. With Keyshawn Williams out of the fold, they've had David Coit really be able to step up. He's been the main scorer, 16 points, 2.8 assists, shoots 38% from 3 for Northern Illinois team that does shoot about 34.5% from 3, but 
They shoot a ghastly 65.5% at the free throw line, and you really just don't have a lot of rebounding. With this Northern Illinois team, you've got two separate guys that give you north of 4.1 rebounds per game, three guys that give you more than 2.9 rebounds per game. Zarek Noder, Anthony Crump, between the two of them, they give you about 10.2 rebounds per game. Meanwhile, Laquil Hartnett on the flip side for Buffalo, he's done a solid job. 10.5 points, 7.3 rebounds per game. He doesn't necessarily give you a ton of block shots, but he is able to chip in there 10.5 points per game. Zed Boom Boom Powell has been able to give you 2.5 assists, 1.8 seals per game. As for Buffalo, each of your top five scores do give you at least 0.8 seals per game, while Armani Foster is able to also give you four assists while turning the ball over about two and a half times per game. I do think that Buffalo is going to be able to keep things a little bit cleaner in the spot for Northern Illinois. His squad has given up at least 77 points in three of their last four games, while they themselves have been a little bit hot and cold with their offense. They have failed to break 70 points in two of their last three games, and I do think that Buffalo going to be able to do a better job reining in and on defense in this one. I just think that both of these offenses in general are going to create too many turnovers to be able to get in over in this spot. I said my total 147F, diving under. I think Buffalo is going to be able to do a better job on the glass to be able to win this game. Set Buffalo as a three and a half point favorite, so taking the Bulls and the under. 631, 632 on the betting board. Villanova hits the road faceoff against Seton Hall, and Seton Hall is a home underdog of one and a half points. Your total it is between 129 and 130 and a half. I did set Seton Hall as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them outright on the money line. I've been very impressed by Villanova ever since Justin Moore has been able to rejoin the team. Moore has given you more as Villanova has allowed north of 68 points in just one game ever since his return, and that is big because this Villanova team, if you take a look at the overall season numbers, they're an absolute disaster on defense. I mean, Villanova, 195th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they've been able to do a significantly better job ever since Mr. Moore has been able to get back in the fold. Last time these two teams played, Villanova really had control of the game, but won the game by a count of 58-54 to because it was marred by a combined 31 turnovers. That was a game that many of you might remember. Villanova was up 14 points with three minutes remaining and did not cover, so... That was very interesting. I do think that Seton Hall is going to be able to hold up on the glass. First time around, they did win that rebound battle by a count of 36-30. And Seton Hall does a good job as a collective of being able to hit the glass. Kadari Richmond is missing. He has been out of the fold the last few games. I sort of think that he's going to play, but I've got him half in, half out. As of right now, I will update this if he does not play, but I would still make Seton Hall more like a one-point favorite if Kadari Richmond is on the fold. Gives you good versatility, 10 points, 5 boards, 4 assists, 2 seals, shoots the 930s from 3 par range, but it's all about Elmir Dawes and Dre Davis, what these two guys have been able to bring to the table with a combined about 22 points per contest. Davis is able to shoot 36% from 3 Dawes, 39% from the outside. It's a big reason why Seton Hall has gotten a little bit more offense going. They do turn the ball for 14 times per game, but Casey Ndefu, 5 boards, 8 points, a steal, 2 blocks per contest, Contest three Samuel is able to give you about five and a half rebounds per game, and Femi Otakawa has been able to give you about four boards, seven points per game. Jameer Harris is a nice understudy for Seton They've been playing more road grader games recently, as they have given up 68 points of fear in three of their last four games. Villanova has been able to improve their defense as well. I certainly think that we're going to get a little bit more scoring than we did the first time around, but I certainly don't think that this is going to be any sort of a rambunctious game. I set my total at 128. I'm diving under. I do think that Seton Hall gets their revenge. Set Seton Hall as the two-point favorite, so taking Seton Hall all right on the money line to go along with this total under. 633, 634 on the bidding board. Boise State plays us to San Diego State. San Diego State is in a pick'em game, and your total, it is 133.5 to 134, and I do feel like Boise State is worthy of being the two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them on this pick'em line with Boise State. They are going to be out for revenge as the last time these two teams played. San Diego State on their own floor. 
They won that game by 20, but Marcus Shaver was not out there on the floor now. There are some people not so happy with Marcus Shaver after the missed free throws in that New Mexico game, but that said, he's an important part of this Boise State team. 13.5 points, 5.8 boards, 1.7 steals per game for a Boise State team that really outside of your main starting five, you don't have much. You don't have a single player outside of that main five that really gives you north of three points per contest, but every one of your top five scores for Boise State all give between 4.8 and 5.6 rebounds per game. They do a nice job by committing and this Boise State just absolutely drags you out on defense. And San Diego State, they're getting back to that style as well. San Diego State lost their identity towards the beginning part of the year, playing a little bit too quickly, and they do give up about 11.4 points more per one hour possessions one away from home. But San Diego State, they're back to 39th in the country in turns points on on a per possession basis, while Boise State is 15th in the country with this regard. Tyson Dagenard, 14.5 points, 5.5 boards, shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range for Boise State. And then you've got Chuzu Agbo, along with Max Rice, who've been able to combine for 22.5 points and 41.5% three-point shooting for Boise State, but... Take a look at the San Diego State group, and they have allowed 71 points or fewer in every single game this month. And as a matter of fact, for San Diego State, they've allowed north of 71 points in regulation because they played that overtime game with Colorado State in just one out of their last 14 games. And Nathan Menzo does a great job down those 7 points, 6 boards. Jalen Ladie has been able to give you about five rebounds per game, and you do have good three-point shooting with San Diego State. They shoot as a collective about 36% from three-point. Micah Parrish gives you about eight points. She's 40% from three by Bradley, Darian Trammell. They've been able to combine for a little bit over 23 points. Bradley has been a good three-point shooter, and they combine for about six assists and two and a half seals per game. So I do like what San Diego State is doing with their defense. They're getting back to basics, and yet they still scored at least 73 points in three out of their last four games. It is a Boise State team coming off of a rough overtime loss against San Jose State, and that means that they have given up at least 74 points in three out of their last four games, but in my opinion, that's a little bit misleading. It is a Boise State team that has also gotten to at least 73 points in four out of their last five games as well, and those were all games that wrapped up in regulation. So good old situation if something's got to give, but I do think that things are going to be reined in like they were the first time around. I do think that having Marcus Shaver on the floor this time around is absolutely massive for Boise State as well. I did set my total at 130. I'm going to be one to dive under with these two good defenses of Boise State. I think they get their revenge, set them as the two-point favorite, won't take them on this pick line to go along with the under. 635, 636 on the betting board. Louisville plays host to Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is a favorite of 11 to 10.5 points in your total. It is 145.5. I'm going to be taking Louisville in this spot. I said Louisville is an 8.5 point underdog. Now Louisville Still a bottom 100 team in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. And Louisville, well, the defense, it has been pretty disastrous this year. They have been completely outgunned, allowing teams to shoot it from three points. They're on 49th of the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. But you do also have a Louisville team that gives up 15.7 points fewer per 100 possessions when they are at home. So they do get a boost from being in the great state of Kentucky. And you've got LLs who might be the best player out there on the floor. I'm not even kidding when I say that. 18 points, four and a half assists. 3.9 turnovers per game. He's no longer number one in the country in turnovers per game, and he's been able to get a little bit of help from Jalen Withers, who's now giving you 9.5 points, 5.5 boards, and has been shooting north of 40% from three. Mikey James shoots 36% from the outside. It's a Louisville team that now has four separate guys that are able to give you north of four rebounds per game. So there's been some improvements made there. And for Virginia Tech, you do have Grant Pasile, and he's been very versatile along Justin Butts. You take a look at these two guys, and it's been rather remarkable. They combined 29.6 points, 12 and a half rebounds. Mutz gives you 4.8 assists, 1.6 steals. Pasile shoots 39% from three. And then Sean Badula. 
four assists and two turnovers a game. Virginia Tech, they do a nice job taking care of the ball. Just 7.1 turnovers per game. Hunter Couture, 10.5 points. She's 43.5% from three, and he has been absolutely massive for this team because you could tell that when he was out of the fold, that's when Virginia Tech had their losing streak, and they weren't able to pull out those close games in January. But we've also noticed Virginia Tech defense really starting to flail a little bit as well. They're 201st in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, giving up 9.8 points more per one-hour possessions when they leave home. Neither of these teams are super-duper up-tempo. Virginia Tech right around 244th in the country in terms of total possessions. Green. Louisville about 231st. I think that this number is just a little bit too high considering the tempo of these two teams. And it is a Virginia Tech team that has been having a little bit of a rough time scoring on the road. They've now scored 70 points or fewer in Three out of their last four games. Two of those games were on the road against Georgia Tech and Duke. So, less than savory results there. It is a Louisville team that they're starting to get throttled down a little bit as well. 67 points or fewer in three out of their last four games after they had that massive explosion against Miami. And I do think that that was a little bit of an outlier. And I think that we are starting to see Louisville come back to the pack a little bit more. And I do think that getting back Brendan Hundley Hatfield, it is certainly helping on the glass a little bit more, which will keep this game a little bit more tame. I just don't think that you get enough possessions for this total to go over. I did set my total 140 and a half diving under. And with Louisville, you've been noticing a couple fewer turnovers out of this team. It feels like this team is a little bit more polished than they were at the beginning part of the season. And it's been a Virginia Tech team has had a little bit of a tough time when they've been away from home. So I'm going to be willing to take the points with Louisville, set them as an 8.5 point underdog, set my total at a 140.5. So I'm also going to be diving under. 637, 638 on the betting board. Arkansas is third face off against Tennessee. Tennessee is a favorite of 7 to 7.5 seven points. Your total is between 134 and 135. I made Tennessee a 7 point favorite here at 7.5. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Arkansas. And this is a rarity. I'm going to be taking a Tennessee game over. Now, Tennessee, number one in the country in terms of points slot on a per-possession basis, number one in the country in opponent's three-point shooting percentage, but I do think that Arkansas is going to be able to attack down low for one and for two. I do think that Nick Smith just gives this team a new dimension. Nick Smith just has been banged up all season long, but since his return, this Arkansas team has been far more explosive in the games in which he's actually seen minutes because he played just four minutes in that game against Texas a and so the three games since then, the team has gotten to at least 80 points in all three of them against Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. So that is very, very solid. And Alabama had yet to give up north of 70 points to an SEC foe prior to that game. And Nick Smith comes in having scored 50 points in the team's last two games. Absolutely huge. Now, Arkansas, a team that does not really have that one guy that's able to man the glass. You've been able to have Makai Mitchell be able to give you 5.8 rebounds per game. He's the only guy in the roster that gives you north of 5 rebounds per game, but you do have guys that are able to emerge. You've been able to get about 11 points, 4 boards out of Devontae Davis. You've got a pair of guys in Ricky Council along with Anthony Black who do a nice job in tandem. Council, 2.5 assists, a steal, 17 points per game, and Black, he's been able to give you 12.5 points per game as well. Shoots a respectable mark from 3 for an Arkansas team that is in the bottom 75 in terms of three-point shooting percentage, which is why it is so massive that they get Nick Smith back in fold. And for Arkansas, they have throttled down their tempo quite a bit this season when they've been without Nick Smith, as currently they're 74th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. But in the three games that Smith has been back, they've been playing about four possessions more per game. And I do think that that is very important to take note of. They're going up against the Tennessee team as a little bit more of 
Bay's slow tempo team and a team that they just looked to really hit the glass as a collective. They got back Josiah Jordan James in their last game. That's big. He and Olivier Kamwa combined for about 20 and a half points, 10 boards. Both of these guys shoot 32% from three in Tennessee. Just never know what you're going to be able to get out of the outside shooting. They should have combined 33 and a half percent from three. Santiago Vescovi, he's back from illness. Three assists, shoots 35% from three, 12 and a half points per game. It's the guy Ziegler. Five and a half assists at 2.3 turnovers per game. Honestly, Tennessee doesn't do a bad job of taking care of the ball. 12 turnovers per game, but for Arkansas, ever since you have seen Smith get back in the fold, we've also seen the defensive minutes show a little bit more as well. They've been giving up with Smith back in the fold, right around two and a half points more per one hour possessions overall. Arkansas is 16th in the country, turns points a lot on a per possession basis, but giving up 16.4 points more per one hour possessions when they're away from home. I do think that with Smith back in the fold, it is an Arkansas team that's going to see a little bit of a drop off with their defense, but it is sensor offense. I do think that Arkansas is going to be a matchup with Tennessee on the glass. I did set my number at 7 with Tennessee. Won't take 7.5 with Arkansas. Made my total 137.5. Also looking at the over. 639, 640 on the bank board. Ole Miss is going to be playing us at Texas A&M. A&M is a favorite of 5 points and your total is between 136 and 137. I said A&M is a 5.5 point favorite. Not willing to go over the 5 in this spot, but I'm willing to lay the 5 with Texas A&M. They are coming off of a rough loss against Mississippi State, but I love the way that this team maneuvers as a collective on the glass. As you've got one main score on Wade Taylor, that's able to give you 16 points, 4 assists, 1.8 seals, and shoots 37% from 3. From there, start scores 2 through 5 for Texas A&M. I'll give between 4.3 and 5.6 rebounds per game with 3 of them, giving you at least 5.3 rebounds per game, and Tyrese Radford, Henry Coleman, Long Dexter Dennis. And then you do have right around 9.5 points, 4.5 boards out of Julius Marble as well, so these guys have done a nice job in tandem. Texas A&M turns the ball over about 12.5 times per game, and we have noticed that Texas A&M has thrown down a little bit more with their tempo. It's going to be interesting to see how Ole Miss plays things moving forward, because with Kermit Davis in the fold, they were just outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game, and they were a, a sub-100 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, while Texas A&M has been able to do a solid job with their defense. 69th, very nice in terms of their points allowed on a per-possession basis, and it is a Texas A&M team that they do diminish a little bit with their defense when they're away from home. They have been giving up right around 13.7 points more per 100 possessions away from home, but with Ole Miss, this offense just leaves a lot to be desired. They've been able to get 14.5 points, 2.5 assists out of Matthew Morrell, but they, as a collective, shoot 29.4% from three-point range team and breakfield. It's come in, give the team about six boards, 11 points per game, but they brought J- Javius McKinnis, Josh Umbala, and Theo Akwuba in via the transfer portal. These three guys have combined for about nine rebounds per game. That is a complete failure. I mean, you need to have these guys manning the boards. They just have not been able to do so. They have played one game ever since the canning of Kermit Davis. That was an 82-69 win, but it's hard to take this too seriously with how LSU has been playing as well. Amari Abraham was able to come in off the bench. He had double figures and overall this season has been able to average about 8 points per game. Might be the best shooter on the floor for Ole Miss as he shoots about 35.5% for 3, but this is still a pretty disjointed Ole Miss team, and I do think that Texas A&M going to be able to stay full with their defense, get their nice slow style. They've been one of the best teams in the country in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis, so I think that this is going to be a defense-oriented battle that Texas A&M is going to take control of. Said Texas A&M is a 5.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number and made my total a 134.5, so also Diving under to go along with the Aggies. 641, 642 on the betting board. South Carolina. It's road face off against Mississippi State. Mississippi State is a 16 to 16 and a half point favorite. And your total on this game it is 124 and a half. Semi total 123 and a half. I'm actually.
actually going to be willing to go under in this spot. It's a Mississippi State team that ranks in the top eight in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. This team has just been a constrictor in terms of all things. They're one of the top teams in terms of rebound rate. They do a nice job of being able to generate a bunch of seals and a South Carolina team that honestly has been able to cover numbers on the road. We see them overall as 15 and 14 against the spread, but the road numbers are significantly better. And this South Carolina team has been leaving something to be desired with their defense giving up 73 plus points each out of their last four games. But fortunately, they go up against the Mississippi State team that last time this team was able to exceed the 70 point plateau. You have to go all the way back to the month of January when they played that overtime game against TCU. And if you want to go back in regulation, you have to go all the way back to December. So, Mississippi State has not been playing a lot of offensive games, to say the least. But you do have down low Tulu Smith, who's able to give you 15 points, 8.5 rebounds per game. Now, the Bulldogs are a bottom 15 team in all of college basketball with their three-point shooting percentage, right around 27.4% from three-point range. They shoot below 65% at the free-throw line, but but able to have Shaquille Moore help out the team with 9.5 points, a little bit over two assists, 1.8 seals per game, and outside of Tolu Smith, each of your top five scores do give you at least 1.2 seals per game. That includes the Oregon State transfer into Sean Davis, who's really been the main three-point shooter, shooting about 34.5% from distance, 3.5 assists, 8.5 points per game. It's a Mississippi State team that just does such a good job with their collective on defense. You've got a South Carolina team that in regulation has scored 64 points or fewer in now four out of their last seven games. I do think that South Carolina going to get completely tied down in this spot. I did set Mississippi State as a 15.5 point favorite. I think now that we've gotten to 16.5, this is a little bit too lofty just because I just don't know if you get enough scoring from Mississippi State to be able to cover this big of a number. It's a big ass. So I do think that the number is a little bit overinflated there. I'm going to be one take the points with South Carolina. And I did set my total at 123.5. I do think the Mississippi State comes out with their incredible defense, just not able to score quite enough to be able to cover this number. So looking at the under and and looking at 16 and a half plus here with South Carolina. 643-644 on the betting board. Kansas plays us to Texas Tech. Texas Tech is a 9.5 to a 10 point underdog with your total between 145 and 146. And with Kansas, made them a 9.5 point favorite. I'm willing to take the 10 with Texas Tech. With Texas Tech, I've upgraded them with my power ranking with having Fardas Amek back in the fold. He has been able to do a remarkable job for this team. Was injured throughout much of the year due to a lower body injury, but with him out there on the floor, this team has been completely different. You just take a look at the last four games that he has played, and he's been able to register for the team right around nine rebounds per contest. He has had a combined 38 points in the last two games. This guy, while he was at Utah Valley last season, had 19 points, 13 and a half boards, a little bit of a block on 43.5% three-point shooting at six foot eleven. I mean, just absolutely incredible the versatility they brings to the table. And Pop Isaacs is someone that has also been dealing with an injury for this Texas Tech team. And now he's back on there on the floor, shoots 38% from three, eleven and a half points as a nice six foot two shifty guard that's able to give you about two and a half assists per game. Davion Harmon chips in there some seals, and it is a Texas Tech team that still has been leaving a little bit of something to be desired in conference play. But when you go up against these Big 12 teams, it's just absolutely brutal. And Texas Tech. Still a team that ranks right around 74th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Kansas, a top 50 team in the country in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. And interestingly, Kansas is actually allowing nearly a point more per 100 possessions at home rather than in a roadside shooter court environment. Kansas, they've got Kevin McCullough, and this is going to be a rivalry battle between these two because he was with Texas Tech last season. 11 points, 7.5 boards, 2.5 assists. 
per game. Grady Dick has been able to shoot about 42% from three with 15 points, five boards, and a seal and a half per game himself. And then obviously you've got Jalen Wilson giving you two and a half assists per game. I know that there was some injury concerns with a few players on this Kansas team. It looks like Dwan Harris is able to give you 6.3 assists, two seals per game. You should be good to go. You should have KJ Adams out there on the floor as well. He's been able to do a nice job supplying about 10.5 points per game. Not a guy that's going to go out there and shoot threes, but Kansas should be with their full allotment of guys in this one. Texas Tech, they should be as well. And for Texas Tech, they've given up 72 points for fear in four of their last five games with Fardos Amick out there on the floor. It is a Kansas team that they have been hitting on all cylinders with 76 plus points in four out of their last five games. So something's got to give in this one. I do think that Texas Tech slows things down a little bit more. First time these two teams played, that was when Texas Tech was dealing with a myriad of injuries. That was a 75 to 72 game that Kansas was in full control, but Texas Tech was able to make a bonsai charge late. And in order to get those 147 points, the two teams want to combine 21 of 45 from three. I certainly think that both teams are going to be a little bit colder and did semi total of 143 and a half. As a result, I'm going under and I'm willing to take the 10 with Texas Tech. 645, 646 on the betting board. Nebraska plays us to Michigan State. Michigan State is a three to three and a half point road favorite, and your total it is between 136F and 137. And I did make Michigan State a four point road favorite. I recognize the danger in taking road teams in the Big Ten, but I'm going to be willing to do so here. I'm willing to lay it with Michigan State. Now, with Nebraska, I've upgraded them quite a bit with the way that Kasai Tomanaga has been playing recently. This guy is on absolute fire, and he has a lot of fun to take a look at. He has been able to get to at least 20 points and now five out of the team's last six games had a little bit of a sinker against Minnesota, but I mean, it was against Minnesota, which meant that everyone else was able to step up, and he still had four seals in that one. Tomanaga is able to shoot 40% for three, 86.5% the free line for, and the Nebraska team has not been great with their offense. They're shooting 31.7% for three, 63.5% at the free throw line, and neither of these teams are playing very fast. Nebraska has had a big, giant downward tempo shift this season. They're now right around 206th in the country in terms of total possessions brain, though I will say, since Tomanaga's emergence. They have been playing right around four possessions per game more than the remainder of the season. Meanwhile, Michigan State, they are 280th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, and it's going to be very curious to see how Michigan State responds having their heart completely just ripped out of their entire body in that game against Iowa. That was not great to say the least, but with Michigan State, we got a nice big three for this team as A.J. Hogard is able to give you six assists, 12.5 points per contest. Joy Elzer, Ty Walker combined to shoot about 43% from three. Elzer, 13.9 points, seven rebounds per game. Walker doesn't really give you a lot of rebounds or assists, but he's able to give you 14.5 points per game. And Jaden Akins has been able to come along for the ride as well, nine points, four assists. He had 21 points in that loss against Iowa. He's been able to shoot it well from three points at about 42% from distance and with Nebraska. They did improve their defense from a season ago and it certainly has been better when they have been at home. It's a Nebraska team at overall 135th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis but giving up 13.3 points fewer per one or possessions when they're at home. Meanwhile, you've got a Michigan State team that does allow nearly 14.8 points more per one or possessions when they are away from home but a lot of that is a byproduct of that game that we saw against Iowa. You've got a Nebraska team that has allowed 72 points or fewer in each of their last four games. I do think that this is going to be more of a low-scoring slog. You don't have 
either team really playing up tempo. I did set my toe as a result at a 130, so I'm going to be looking under, but I do think that in the end, Michigan State in a little bit of a desperation spot. I do think that they're going to be able to get up off the mat. I do think that the better coach team is going to be able to get it done in this spot, and that would be the Spartans. I did set Michigan State as a four-point favorite, willing to lay up to three and a half with them, and taking a look at the under. 647, 648 on the betting board. New Mexico is going to be playing as the Fresno State. Fresno State is an underdog of eight and a half to nine points. Your total on this game is aimed between 141 and a half and 142 and with New Mexico, I did set them as a 10 and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number with New Mexico. Just so massive for them getting Mr. Jalen House back out there on the floor. You could tell how anemic this team was without him as he and Jabal Mashburn Jr. do make one of the best one-two guard combos. They're able to find an off college basketball house. 16 and a half points, four boards, 4.7 assists, 2.7 seals on 37% three-point shooting. Mashburn shoots 39% from the outside, 19 and a half points from him. But beyond that, you've got Maurice Uduze along Josiah Allen. Who've been able to combine for 16.6 rebounds? Uduze is able to give you nearly 16 points per contest as well. KJ Jenkins shoots 45.5% from three for a New Mexico team that's in the top 40 in terms of possessions per game, and yet they only turn the ball over about 11.5 times per game. Last time these two teams played, New Mexico was actually undefeated, and Fresno State ended their bids at an undefeated season. It's a Fresno State team that looks quite different ever since then. Still playing at that slow, grimy pace as they are 358th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. That previous game in early January was 71-67 to in that game. You had New Mexico shoot up well from the floor, but they lost the turnover battle by kind of 16-15, to and Fresno State was able to win the rebound battle with Eduardo Andre having 12 points, 8 boards, and 4 steals off the bench. He's now been elevated to a starter with the Isaiah Moore injury, and honestly, he's the better of the two. He's been able to do a good job having a bunch of double-doubles in the month of January. You take a look at the way that he's been able to perform recently, and with the elevated minutes, he's been able to give the team 6-plus rebounds in each of the team's last 6 games, and he's been averaging right around 2 steals per contest in the last 5 games as well, so he's got some very active hands at 6'11". Problem for Fresno State is they're outside shooting. They shoot 28.5% from 3-point range, a bottom 25 mark in all of college basketball, Jamero Baker, Isaiah Hill, and been able to combine for 23.8 points per contest. You get a combined about 6.2 assists out of these two guys as well, but the lack of explosiveness in the backcourt should doom them in the spot first time around. You had House and Mashburn have a combined eight turnovers. I think the pressure of that undefeated season and being the last unbeaten team got to New Mexico in that spot. I think that they've got some revenge here at the pit for them. And for Fresno State, this has been an offense that has been held down very recently. 66 points or fewer in four of their last five games and fewer than 60 points in three out of their last four games. Well, they themselves have a lot fewer than 70 points in each other last four games. Meanwhile, we've got a New Mexico team that has been all over the place with regards to their offense as well, but have a lot of 73 points or fewer in now three other last four games. I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a button-up game. I did sell my total at a 136 half diving under New Mexico. I think they get their revenge, especially in the backcourt. Willing to lay up to 10 with them. 649, 650 on the betting board. San Jose State plays as Colorado State, and Colorado State is an underdog of three points with your total 136 half to 137, and with Colorado State, I did set them as an underdog of five points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with the fighting Tim Miles's with Tim Miles, he's done an amazing job having San Jose State fortify themselves down low, and that's the way that they were able to win that game over the weekend against Boise State. They won that rebound battle 53-32, to and for San Jose State, Amari Moore certainly does give you more. 17 points, 4.5 boards, 4.8 assists, she's 34.5% from three, but here's what's really been the key for this team. Abrima Diallo, Robert Viola, Sage Tolbert. These three guys have been able to combine for 19 and a half rebounds per game. 
Tolbert is able to shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range with 8.2 points per contest. Diallo and Viola have been able to combine for about 14.5 points per game with Diallo, giving you 1.8 blocks per contest. Meanwhile, Colorado State does not have a single guy in the roster that gives you at least five rebounds per game. John Tone J, 14 points, five boards. And I mean, it's a Colorado State team that they have each other top five scores, shooting 36.5% from three prior range. Isaiah Stevens is able to give you 6.7 assists per game, only turns the ball over about two times for contest. That's all very well and good, but I think that San Jose State should be able to just maul this Colorado State team on the glass because that's something like a Patrick Cartier. She's 43% from three. He gives you 12 points per contest, but he can't grab a rebound to save his life, which I do find to be very befuddling about this Colorado State team. And you do have a pair of teams that they play at a very slow, controlled pace. Colorado State right on tour and 50th in the country. In terms of total possessions per game, you've got a San Jose State team that is in the bottom 50 nationally. In terms of total possessions per game, and San Jose State, they certainly do have their issues guarding the three-point arc during 75th in the country, but they allow opponents on the road to shoot about 39 percent from three, 32.4% at home. They have been significantly better when they have been in the great state of California. You've got a Colorado State team that has been all over the place with their defense. They have allowed in their last five games two teams to not break 60. Meanwhile, they've given up 71 plus to the other three teams. Meanwhile, you've got a San Jose State team that has been able to fortify their defense, giving up 68 points or fewer in four out of their last five games. I do think that San Jose State wins from within. I think that they're going to do just enough to be able to guard the arc, to be able to get this one into the window. And I think the Colorado State, a team that has been really spotty with their three-point shooting, when they're away from home, they're going to have a really rough time of it in this spot. So I did set my total of 135. I'm diving under with San Jose State. I did make them the five-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Now we go to the Sunbelt Tournament. These are games that I'm going to have to do just the DraftKings number on just because this is a little bit more of a unique situation. There aren't as many books that have these up overnight, but we go to 651-652 on the board, Coast of Carolina. They're going to be playing against Arkansas State. Arkansas State at DraftKings is a one and a half point underdog. Your total on this game is 140 and a half. And I did set Arkansas State as a one and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them out right on the money line. Coast of Carolina has been just completely terrible with their defense as it's a Coast of Carolina team that's in the bottom 30 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And you take a look at Coast of Carolina and yeah, they should be able to win the battle down low with having Issa Mustafa being able to supply 9.9 rebounds, 12.5 points per game. But Omar el I think he's going to be able to hold his own 11.5 points, right around 9.9 rebounds per game. And for Arkansas State, they've done a good job of being able to reduce their turnovers. They're down to about 11.8 turnovers per game. They've been dealing with the injury to Malcolm Farrington, but you've got Terrence Ford Jr., coupled with Avery Feltz and Marquise Davis. This trio of guards are able to give you about 28.5 points per contest. You've got Ford and Feltz combining for five assists, and both of these guys shoot about 38.5% from three-par range. Arkansas State only shooting 67.5% the free throw line. That's an issue because Carolina did shoot 78.5% at the charity strike, but they also only shoot about 31% from three-par range. You've been able to get good production out of Jamero Brown along Josh Uduje, who've been able to combine for 26 points per game, but I was expecting a little bit more of Antonio Day. He does give you four and a half assists, 12 and a half points per game, but really, other than Mustafa, you've got one other player on the roster that gives you north of 4.1 rebounds per game, and that would be Wilfred Lakai. That has been a massive issue for a Coastal Carolina team that may have been bad on defense 
and their offense, it has been a little bit all over the place as well as they have been held below 70 points and now three out of their last six games. It's an Arkansas State team that's been able to fortify their defense, giving up 70 or fewer in four out of their last five games. This is going to be a neutral court environment as they're going to be playing these games all in Pensacola, Florida. And I didn't think that that lends itself to Arkansas State being able to just get their style a little bit more in this game, slow things down, do a rock-solid job with having Sheik and company down low, and I mean, it is probably going to be a little bit less travel for Arkansas State, but I don't think that that really factors into this one. I do think that things are going to be a little bit more slowed down in this spot, though. I did set my total 137.5. Arkansas State is a team that ranks in the bottom 30 in terms of total possessions per game. Last time these two teams played, Arkansas State got it done 73-57. to They match up well with Mustafa down low. I think that they're going to do the same once again. I do like Arkansas State outright on the money line. Set my total 137.5, so also going to be down Diving under to go along with Arkansas State. 653-654 on the betting board. You've got Texas State, and they're going to be playing against Georgia State. This is another game that is happening out there in Pensacola, Florida. And Texas State is 4.5-point favorite with your total 131. And I did set Texas State as a 3-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Georgia State. Now, if you want to take a look at money-burning teams, Georgia State, boy, oh, boy. It's not quite Tulsa bad, but it's bad. 620-1 against the spread. Texas State isn't a whole lot better, though. They're 918-1 against the spread. And for Texas State, you've got Mason Errol and not necessarily a whole heck of a lot else. 16 points. About two and a half assists per game. Texas State plays at a bottom 35 pace in terms of total possessions per game. Georgia State, they're just outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game. And for Georgia State, 187th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. This actually bodes well for Texas State. They're 240th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but they've actually allowed four points fewer per 100 possessions in a road slash neutral environment than they have at home, but I don't make too much out of that. You do have a pair of guys down low for Texas State in Nigel Caesar and Tyrell Morgan, that'll be able to give you about 12.3 rebounds. They combine for 18.5 points per game, but Texas State is a collective. She's 30.4% from three-point range. They turn the ball over about 12 times for contest. Georgia State, their turnovers per game, that's hovering more in the neighborhood about 13 per game, but they do have better... Uh, Front end guard play, in my opinion, is you got a trio of guys in Dewan Odom, Brandon Tucker, along Colin Moore, that will be able to combine for 39.2 points per game. Moore was missing for much of the season, has played just 12 games, but has been able to give the team a little bit of three point shooting. Georgia State, they're going to shoot 29.5% from three, but Moore has been able to go off, shoot about 34.5% from three-point range in a roadside church court environment, has shot 43% from three-point range and has given the team at least 14 points in four of the team's last five games. Now, since Moore has been able to get on a heater with his scoring, and it has allowed Georgia State to exceed 68 points in four of their last five games. The team has also now allowed at least 75 points in each of their last five games, but you've also got a Texas State team has went down the tubes with their defense. They've given up at least 75 points in each of their last four games, so you've got a pair of teams that have been dealing with almighty struggles recently. You've got a Georgia State team that does a relatively solid job of being able to rebound by committee with having Jaheim Hudson give you 10 points, seven boards, a steal, nearly a block per contest, and I do think that Georgia State going to stay lively in this one. I don't think that they are able to get the job done outright, but I do think that with Texas State, 
just with the way that they don't have necessarily a lot of guys outside of Mason Arrow, they're able to create in the backcourt and Georgia State having more scoring options. That lends itself very well to them. Now, both of these teams are in bad form with their defense, but both of these teams have had struggles with their offense all season long. I did set my total at a 131 as well. I'm going to be waiting on a little bit of a line move, 130 and a half or less, looking at the over 131 half or higher to the under, but we'll only take four and a half here with Georgia State. Now we go to the Horizon League tournament, 655, 656 on the betting board. Good old Iwi Peewee, I-U-P-U-I. It's a road faceoff against Robert Morris, and Robert Morris is a favorite of 14 points. Your total on this game is 138. Said Robert Morris is a 14 and a half point favorite. 14 is the max I'm willing to lay, but I'm going to be willing to lay this summer. It is a Robert Morris punch that has been up and down in terms of their play this season, but they've been able to do a pretty rock solid job with Enoch Cheeks being a great creator for this team as he's been able to supply 16 points, 4.5 boards, 3.5 assists, 2 steals, a little bit of a block per contest while shooting 37% from 3 point range. Now, IUPUI is actually coming off of knocking off Robert Morris on their home floor about a week or so ago, so this is going to be a big-time revenge spot in this one, and it is an IUPUI team that ranks in the bottom five nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Going up against the Robert Morris team, that is more around 128th in the country with this regard. IUPUI about 200th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but they've been going upwards with regards to their possessions per game as the season has won along. Robert Morris, a more controlled team at 255th in Go back to the last time these two teams played. IUPUI shot 50% from the floor, 5 of 12 from 3, despite losing the turnover battle 15 to 7. IUPUI was able to get it done just because they were hot from 3, and I don't think that that's going to be the case on the floor of Robert Morris. IUPUI for the year, shooting 29.5% from 3 power range, a bottom 10 mark in all of college basketball. You do have Vincent Brady along Jalen Counter. They've been your main two scorers. They combined 25 points per contest, but you've got one guy on the roster that gives you north of four rebounds per game. That would be Chris Olsen. Nine points, five boards, just under a block per contest. You've been able to get a little bit more recently out of DJ Turn It Up Jackson. He was injured for much of the season. He's been able to get the team 15 plus points in three of the last four games. That's been a reason why IUPUI has been playing a little bit better, and I did give them a little bit more of an edge with that regard, or else this would be a number that would be closer to 16 in my opinion, but Khalil Spears should be able to win the battle down low, 15.5 points, 8.5 boards, gives you a block, a steal per game. Robert Morris as a whole shoots about 34% from three-point range, but they've got the best facilitator. And Michael Green, the third, who comes in for Brian, 4.3 assists, 8.5 points per game. He does a relatively solid job on that front end. You've been able to get a little bit more recently out of Jackson last he is not last because he's able to give you right around five and a half points, four boards. He is far from the last guy I would want on my team, and he's been able to do a great job of being able to create steals, a combined nine in the last five games. I do think that IUPUI, a team that turns the ball over nearly 16 times for contest, they're going to be done in by that. It is a Robert Morris team that has been able to do a solid job on their defense recently. 64 points or fewer in four of their last five games. They had that hiccup against IUPUI. I do think that they're going to be able to put that to the side. I don't think that this is a case where IUPUI is a bad matchup. I think that they were just hitting shots on that day, and I do think that now that the venue has flipped, that Robert Morris is going to be able to get their revenge. Made Robert Morris a 14-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Also made my total a 136.5, so I'm going to be diving under to go along with Robert Morris. 657, 658 on the betting board. Detroit, they are going to be playing us to IPFW. Good old Fort Wayne is an underdog of 5.5 points. Your total on this game is 154.5, and 
But Detroit, I made them a seven-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. I do think a little bit of a motivational factor is that Detroit is playing to try to be able to get Antoine Davis' this all-time scoring record. He's trying to chase down Pistol Pete Maravich, and I don't think that he's going to score. I think he needs something like 60 points in this game in order to set the record. I don't think that he's going to be getting to 60. I don't think he's pulling a Kobe Bryant in this one, but Antoine Davis has been absolutely remarkable. 28 points, 3.5 assists, shooting 41.5% from 3 at home. He shoots 42% from the outside, and this guy has been just in complete and utter fuego right now. He has been able to supply at least 27 points at each out of the last seven games. The team in this run has been able to do a tremendous job with their offense. They've gotten to at least 76 points and now seven out of their last 10 games for Detroit. Lack of defense being played with this team. They're in the bottom 40 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They actually showed a little bit more of a heartbeat recently as they have given up 74 points or fewer in four of their last five games. They go up against a Fort Wayne team that has been able to run up their offense. 77 plus points at each other last three games. Defense has been leaving something to be desired as they've given up 75 plus in two of those games as well. But for IPFW, this team has been a little bit all over the place. Jared Goffrey has had to do a little bit of everything for the team. 18 points, five and a half boards, three and a half assists. He's able to shoot 35% from three-point range. It is a Fort Wayne team that also turns the ball over about 13 times for contest while Detroit turns it over more around 11 times per game. And it's a Fort Wayne team that it's right around 150th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They do have a nice quadrant of guys. Quentin Morton-Robinson, Jamian Chung-Kui, along with Anthony Roberts, throwing there Deontay Billups, who have all been able to give you between 6.8 and 9.3 points per contest. You've got pretty much all these guys aside from Chung-Kui shooting between 35.8 and 39% for three-point And then Ari Kapati is able to give you 8.2 rebounds per game. But other than he and Godfrey, you don't have a single guy in the roster that gives you north of 4.2 rebounds per game. That is really the main kryptonite of Detroit. But Detroit, they now have the best rebounder in the game in Gerald Liddell. 15 points, 10 boards. He's done a great job down low. Des Bezzi Anderson has been able to shoot about 34.5% from distance, 9.5 points per game. Good versatility out of him. I do like the recent form of Detroit. It's been an IPFW team that really has been all over the place, and they've been a little bit of a mess recently as they enter into this tournament. Losers of five out of their last seven games and the last time these two teams match up. Detroit dump trucked Fort Wayne on their own floor. 85-52 to home floor of Detroit. In that one, Detroit shot over 50% from floor, won the turnover battle 14-7, to won the rebound battle. I don't think it's going to be quite this demonstrative. I certainly think that Fort Wayne is putting up north of 50 some odd points in this game. That said, I do think though that Detroit is currently playing the better basketball. I do think that they're going to be able to get the job done and they're going to continue to have our good friend Antoine Davis chasing history. I did set my total 153. I think that Detroit is improving their defense just a little bit, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and I'm willing to lay the points with Detroit. Made them a 7-point favorite this last game on the normal Las Vegas spending board before we hit the X game, 659-660. It is right state, and they hope to be the right side as they are going to be playing us at UW-Green Bay. UW-Green Bay is an underdog of 20 points, and your total on this game is 146, and with right state, I'm going to be willing to lay it. I set them as a 21-point favorite. The two times that these two teams played, UW-Green Bay got dump-trucked in both of those games. As a matter of fact, last time these two teams hooked up a few weeks ago, UW-Green Bay lost that battle, and they lost that battle 77-46. to UW-Green Bay has just been in complete and utter sadness with their offense. They have scored 65 points or fewer 
in eight out of their last 11 games. They fired their coach, Will Ryan, midseason. You've got Cade Myers, able to give 10 and a half points, five rebounds per game. He is the only guy on the roster for UW Green Bay that's giving you north of four rebounds per game. See, Blake, nine points, two and a half assists. He's been able to shoot about 44% from three, but the problem is UW Green Bay is a bottom 75 team in terms of tempo. They turn the ball over 14 times per game, and they shoot 30% from three-point range. It's not like Wright State is magical with their defense or anything like that. This is a Wright State team that is a top 30 team in terms of total possessions per game, but you know what? They're 143rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis with Trey Kelvin being able to take things over 20.5 points, shoots 38.5% from three. Someone that actually began his career at UW-Green Bay, Amari Davis, he used to be their top scorer. He's now a fourth fiddle for Wright State. He's been able to give them nine points per contest. Brandon Noel at six foot six, nice combo player, 13 points, eight half boards. He's able to bury 36% of his threes. Tim Finke at six foot six, he's a nice point forward, eight point six boards, three and a half assists per game. You just have way too many weapons for Wright State. This UW-Green Bay team has completely packed in the season. They have given up themselves at least 76 points in four of their last five games. It is Wright State team that has given up north of 70 points in each of their last four games. They've had a few hiccups on offense, but the one thing Wright State has been able to do all season long has been completely take it to UW-Green Bay. I think that they're going to be able to do so once again. I did set Wright State as a 21-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the 20. Set my total at a 141. I just don't think that UW-Green Bay holds up their end of the bargain with this total. So, take a look at the under, and I'm taking a look at Wright State. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306-525, 306-525. NJIT, it's the red face-off against New Hampshire. New Hampshire is a favorite of six points. In your total, it is 135 and a half to 136 with New Hampshire. I did make them a favorite of seven points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with New Hampshire. They've done a very good job with having Clarence O'Daniels just take over games. Six foot six combo player that's able to give you 15 and a half points, 10 and a half boards, shoots 39 and a half percent for three point range. It's a New Hampshire team that ranks in the bottom 50 in terms of total possessions per game. And I mean, the defense has been halfway decent. I'm not going to call it anything magical or anything like that, but one or any second in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis going up against an NJIT team that is their fifth of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis and is allowing 18.3 points more per one hour possessions when they leave home. That's time these two teams played. New Hampshire needed overtime, but they were able to go on the road. They got the job done against NJIT by a count of 74 to 67. That was a game which they were able to cover on the road. And for this NJIT team, they just have not been the same since Miles Coleman has been out of the fold. He's been able to give the team 14 and a half points, a little bit over two assists per contest. He has been missing since late January, so the team has had to mix and match ever since then. You have been able to get about 11 points and some good three-point shooting out of Adam Hess. He's able to shoot 44.5% from three and shot 40. 9% from three-point range in a roadside search court environment. I do think that there's going to be a regression with that. Soul Mindy Akite down low has been able to give you 6.5 points, 4.5 rebounds per game. Kevin Osawi, the Little Rock transfer, 11.9 rebounds per game, but these are the only two guys on the roster for NJIT that give you north of 3.3 rebounds per game for New Hampshire. You've got a lot of nice supporting cast members when it comes to the backcourt. Matt Hermesy, nice at sheet for 10.5 points, 5.5 rebounds, shoots 35% from three-point range. Nick Johnson has been able to chip in there right around 13 points, 
five boards. You've got overall much better rebounding with New Hampshire. It's a New Hampshire team that does a better job of taking care of the ball as well as New Hampshire has been turning the ball over right around 10.3 times per game. I think the New Hampshire gets their slow, grimy style in regulation when these two teams played last. It certainly was a game that was trending well under the total as that was a game that was 59-59 to going into overtime. I did set my total at a 131 diving under and I'm willing to lay the number in New Hampshire. Made them a 7-point favorite. 306 Bryant. It's the red faceoff against Maine. Maine hopes to not get Maine. That's 3.5 point home underdogs. Their total is anywhere between 147 half and 149 and with Bryant, I did set them as a 2.5 point favorite. So I'm going to be looking to take the three and a half with Maine. And a big reason why I'm on Maine in this spot is because of your two main guards. As you've got Jedi Jayu Zapatis, who comes in from Georgia Southern, 15 points on 39.5% three point shooting. And then you've got the leader in steals in all of college basketball, and Kellen Tynes. How about this stat line? 14.5 points, 4.5 boards, 3.8 assists, and 3.4 steals per contest. He has given the team a combined 17 steals in the last three games, 21 steals in the last four. This guy is just an absolute ball hawk, and he's going up against a brunch and Bryant that, well, they are a squad that they could be very undisciplined. Bryant has been turning the ball over about 13 and a half times per game. You do have Sharif Groves Bullock, who does it all, 15 half points, 4 and a half boards, 3 assists, shoots 40% from 3 power range, and then Earl Timberlake brings sexy back. He and Antoine Walker have been able to combine for 26.3 points, right around 15 and a half rebounds, 4 assists, and Walker shoots 35% from 3. Charles Pride, 15.6 boards, but for a team that plays at a top 30 pace in terms of total possessions per game to have four guys that average 13 plus points per game and nobody else that averages more than six points or more than four rebounds per game is absolutely ridiculous. It's a very top heavy Bryant team that it feels like it's gotten a little bit tired as the season has went along. They have scored 73 points or fewer in three out of their last four games. Defense has been, well, not great to say the least. They have given up at least 76 points in three of their last four games. Meanwhile, you've had a main team that's been able to do a relatively solid job holding up at the point of attack on defense as well. I do recognize that Maine is outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game, but it is a squad that has given up now 72 points or fewer in eight out of their last 12 matchups. I do think that Maine is going to be able to do a good job getting things a little bit more throttled down in this spot. The last time these two teams hooked up, Maine was held to 53 points against Bryant in that game. You saw Bryant get the job done 71 to 53. Maine was able to get their tempo, but just in case where they got bludgeoned on the glass, I do think that Maine is going to be able to hold up a little bit better this time around. And I do think that things are going to be a little bit more lively with the scoring, but I still think that we've got too high of a total. I set Bryant as a two and a half point favorite. We'll take three and a half with Maine. Maine by total 144 and a half, so diving under three of six five twenty nine, three of six five thirty. Binghamton is going to be playing us UMBC. UMBC is a road favorite of two points with your total 145.5. I set my total 143.5. I'm going to be willing to dive under. Both of these teams are between 200 and 215th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. UMBC, 285th of the country in terms of playing slot on a per possession basis. That's very much less than Savory Binghamton. They're 270th, but for Binghamton, I just don't know if they're going to be able to hit enough shots in this spot to be able to have this game go over. Just because with Binghamton, you do have Jacob Falco. to be able to give you 13.5 points, 3.8 assists. Shoots 32.5% for three, but Binghamton, they shoot about 32% for three. As a low-tempo team, they turn the ball over 13 times 
transfer contest. They do have a trio of guys, Sampag, Cash, Armada Reed, along with Miles Gibson, who will be able to do a nice job being able to give you about 16 and a half rebounds per game, but other than Falco, you don't really have a lot of help at the point guard spot. Binghamton, they only force about five steals per game, and UMBC, very good at taking control of the ball. 10.3 turnovers per game. They shoot as a collective 34.5% from three-point range. Jacob Bunyaseth, along with Colton Lawrence, have been able to combine for about 23.3 points per contest. Uh, Obeng Mensa, Trayvon Fagan, they being able to combine for about 12.5 rebounds per game. I think that they win the battle down low. They've been able to get a little bit more recently out of Jarvis Doles, who transfers in from, I believe, Albany. He's been able to do a solid job right around 4.5 boards, 8.5 points per game, six foot eight, nice combo player. I think that Binghamton is going to have a tough time being able to guard Micah Piccarelli as we able to give you 10 points on really good three-point shooting as well. And the last time these two teams played, UMBC on their own floor got done 69-55. to I fully expect Binghamton to shoot better than 1-14 of 14 from three-point range, but that was a low-possession game in which both teams turned the ball over a combined 17 times per game in that game, and I just don't think that you're going to get enough possessions in this game for it to go over. I do think that both of these teams are going to be semi-ineffective with their offense, but UMBC certainly has better offense. I think that that's going to win out in the spot. Set UMBC as a 3.5 point favorite one to lay the deuce, and going to be taking a look at the under semi total 143.5, 306, 531, 306.532. Vermont is going to be playing us Albany. Albany is a underdog of 18 points, and your total on this game is 141 to 141.5. I set Vermont as a 19-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. It's an Albany team that has been just almighty awful with regards to their defense. And this defense was actually really good last season, but they're now 349th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, giving up 8.8 points more per 100 possessions when they leave home. They've given up at least 74 points in four out of their last five games, and they're going up against a Vermont team that's just hitting. I mean, 80-plus points in four of their last five games, while being a team that's in the bottom 50 in terms of total possessions per game. There's going to be no answer for Robin Duncan. 8.7 at boards, 4.5 assists, 6.6 combo player that does it all, and then Aaron Delaney, Finn Sullivan, Dylan Penn. This trio has been able to give you 36.3 points per contest. Delaney shoots 39% from three. Vermont only turns the ball over nine and a half times per game, and for Albany, they turn the ball over about 13 and a half times per game, while being a team that has relatively been tempo. Gerald Drumgoulet has been able to give you 15 points, five boards, steal per contest, and then Aaron Wright should shoot about 38.5% from three. He's been able to supply you with eight and a half points per game, but you don't have a lot down low. Jonathan Beagle is able to give you seven and a half boards per game, 12 and a half points, and really other than Drum Goulet, you don't have a single other guy that gives you north of 3.8 rebounds per game. In the last time these two teams played, it was just all Vermont in that game, 87 to 68. I don't think that Albany is going to be able to duplicate the scoring that they got the first time around. As Albany lost a turnover battle in that first game, 13 to 10. They lost a rebound battle, 27 to 23. And, and for Albany, 7 to 23 from three-point range against Vermont was not too bad of a battle. I don't think that Vermont is going to go 13 of 28 from three-point range like they did the first time around as well, but you could tell that it was a Albany team that had no response for anything that Vermont was doing. Heck, you were able to get some good production out of Matt Perveretto, who's been a guy that has been able to emerge here in the back half of the season for Vermont. In the last two games, a combined 31 points, 11 rebounds, somewhat six foot eight size, and is able to do a nice job down low and shooting 40% from three points. Just too many weapons for Vermont, and Albany is a team that has been in a lot of disarray. So, a circumstance in which I did set my my 
number at 19. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Vermont. Set my total at 141, so here at 141.5, also going to be diving under to go along with Vermont. We have no numbers up for this one, 306-533, 306-534. We go to the Atlantic Sun Tournament as it is going to be a true home game for Kennesaw State as they take on Queens NC, Queens NC, was able to survive an advance yesterday against Florida Gulf Coast to be able to get into the spot. And my personal handicap is Kennesaw State being an 8.5 point favorite, and they did make my total a 150.5. So I've made a little bit of a haircut from when these two teams played earlier in the month. That was a total of 155.5. Queens NC actually won that game by a count of 83 to 76 in that game. Queens had to go 12 of 25 from three point range. We saw them playing all mighty slog yesterday against Florida Gulf Coast. So I don't think that you're going to be seeing quite as many points in this one with a little bit of a tired Queens team. And with Queens, they've been able to do a relatively solid job down low. That's something that I don't think is going to be overly tired. As you saw in the game yesterday, Jaden Turner put up 18 rebounds. And overall, without having Gavin Reigns in the fold, it was the main rebounder for Queens. He went out with an injury earlier in the season. He's been able to give the team right in that neighborhood about 8.5 points, 8 rebounds per contest. But it's a very balanced Queens team that every single one of their starters yesterday scored at least 11 points. Your main headliners, AJ McKee, Kenny Dye. These two guys are able to combine for about 33 points, a little bit over eight boards. And Queens as a whole does shoot about 35.5% from three-point range. Kennesaw State, we give our ode to Lane Kiffin. Go Owls. They've been able to do a relatively solid job with their overall team defense. So 132nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Giving up right in the neighborhood about six half points fewer per one or possessions at home. And I do like the way that this team is built overall. You've got a pair of guys in Desmond Robinson and Brandon Stroud. They combined for about 11 rebounds, 19 and a half points per game. But for Kennesaw State, this team is looking to go bombs away from three points. You do shoot 37% from three. And interesting note about Queens. This is a team that going into their game yesterday, they were 311th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. But now with the game from yesterday, they're giving up more than five points fewer per one hundred possessions in a roadside shoot record environment than they do at home. So I do find that to be a little bit fascinating. But for Kennesaw State, you just have too much depth with this team. You have right around six and a half points per game out of someone like a Case in Jennings. I still remember Spencer Rogers was the team's top scorer a few years ago. He's on about six and a half points per game, but has done a good job as a role player. And then you've got Chris Youngblood, Tyrell Burton in the backcourt combining for about 28 points, 2.8 steals per game with Youngblood shooting 42% from three-part range. I did have to downgrade Queens a little bit in this spot just because they're going to be a little bit tired from having to play yesterday. Typically, I would set Queens closer to about a six and a half point underdog. I have shaded this up to about eight and a half and I've shaded down my total to 150 and a half. So, one delay up to eight with Kennesaw State, nine or more take for me on Queens, 150 or less, looking over 151 or higher to the under. Now, we've got numbers on this one, 306, 535, 306, 536. You've got Lipscomb hitting the road face off against Stetson. Stetson is a favorite of two points with your total 150 to 150 and a half. And with Setson, I did set them as the two-point underdog. I'm going to be one day a Lipscum out right on the money line. This is a rematch of a game that we saw a couple days ago. Lipscum on the road on the 24th of February. Went to Setson. They got it done in overtime by a count of 98 to 91. I flat out think that Lipscum is going to be able to win this game down low. As in that game, you had Jacob Onyesevich go off for 29 points. They have been able to have Asan Asadula do a great job with his just overall post play as well. Six foot ten gentlemen that is able to give you 7.6 boards, 3.2 assists per game at Setson. Only has one player that really gives you north of 4.5 rebounds per game. 
maybe they able to get relatively good production of Josh Smith. No, not the former NBA player who's been able to supply the team with about nine and a half points, six rebounds per game. It sets it. They do shoot 39% from three, and they're one of the most curious cases in all of college basketball because among your 363 D1 teams, Setson, 344th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, I will say. They give up about 10.7 points fewer per 100 possessions when they are at home, but Setson does this while they're about 288th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. It's a Lipscomb team that is a little bit more of a mid-tempo team, more around 95th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, and Lipscomb sound like they're a great defense, but you know what? They're about 177th in the country in terms points allowed on a per possession basis and if you take the overtimes out of the equation because they played a double overtime game against North Florida they played that single overtime game against Setson. It's a team that they come in having played some halfway decent defense. You take a look at those games outside of the overtimes and they have given up 72 points or fewer and now uh, 7 out of the last 10 games. So you know what? They're coming in in relatively solid form. It is a sets of team that does have Stephon Swenson who does a nice job of being able to dole out the ball 4.8 assists 10.5 points per game and then Jalen Blackman is able to give you 14.5 points per game but I do think that Lipscomb just a relatively bad matchup for Setson. I did set my total at 145. I do serve think that points are going to be scored in this game, but I do think that Lipscomb is going to do a good job limiting sets in to a bunch of one-and-done opportunities, so looking at the under in the spot, I think the Lipscomb wins from within, well, and take them out right on the money line. 306-537-306-538. Liberty is playing out to Bellarmine. Bellarmine had to survive an advance yesterday to get into the spot today, so we've got no numbers currently up on this game. Actually, I'm seeing DraftKings post up Liberty as a 17.5 point favorite and a total of 128.5. This literally popped up as I'm doing this podcast but on the summer, I'm going to be willing to take a look at Bellarmine. I set Bellarmine as a underdog of 15 and a half points, so I do think that this is a little bit too demonstrative, and Liberty has been able to do a solid job all season long in terms of their defense. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, it is a Liberty team that ranks 22nd in the country, and they're allowing about 15 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than in a roadside search record environment, and if you do go back to the last time these two teams played, Liberty completely controlled that game 70-50, to but I do think Bellarmine, being a bottom 10 team, in terms of total possessions per game actually helps them hang within this number just because it's a Liberty team that they're able to go bounce away from three. And the first time around, it was just a bad three-point shooting game on both sides. Bellarmine won two of 14 from three. Liberty won seven of 29 from three-point range. But Liberty still shot a little bit over 50% from the floor. You've got Darius McGee, who no doubt is going to be the best scorer in this game. He's able to give Liberty 22 points. She's 40% from three-point range. Kyle Rode is a little bit of a point forward, 10.5 points, 3.7 assists, 3.6 rebounds. He's able to shoot 30 37% from three. Overall, Liberty does shoot 37.5% from three. They only turn the ball over 10.5 times per game, but Liberty is another team that ranks in the bottom 20 in terms of total possessions per game as well. Meanwhile, for Bellarmine, they've been really looking to Garrett Tipton to be able to tip in things with regards to his offense. He's been able to give the team about 13 points per game. You've only got one guy that gives you north of 4.5 rebounds per game. That'd be Justin Betts. 8.5 points, 5.5 boards, 3.5 assists, but it's really a whole is greater than some of its parts approach. With this Bellarmine team, you've got three separate guys that give you at least two and a half assists per game. Not a Bellarmine team that does a great job on defense. Bottom 50 in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but I do think that you are going to be able to get just enough here for Bellarmine to be able to hold in this game. I do 
think that with the low amount of possessions, we're going to see another slow, grimy game. So I did set my total at a 127.5. Bellarmine is going to be a little bit tired from playing yesterday, but honestly, with their tempo, I think that that takes a little bit less hold in this spot than it would for a more up-tempo team. So I'm going to be willing to take the 17.5 with Bellarmine. Set my total at 127.5. So here at 128.5, also diving under. 306.539, Eastern Kentucky is going to be playing against North Alabama. North Alabama is a 7 to a 7.5 point underdog with your total between 152 and 152.5 with North Alabama. I did set them as a 9 point underdog. I'm going to be willing to lay the points with Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky is a little bit of an all or nothing steals team, but they are able to generate right around 8.5 steals per contest. They are about 160th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, giving up 8.1 points fewer per 100 possessions when they're at home rather than in a roadside search court environment. And for North Alabama, just a team that they need to stifle up their defense a little bit more. Now, they only give up about 1.3 points more per 100 possessions when they leave home, but 319th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They've given up at least 79 points in each of their last three games. Now, to their credit, they've gotten to at least 70 points in four of their last five games. And for Eastern Kentucky, certainly a team has been all over the place with their defense. Last five games, they've given up 83, 58, 93, 77, and 52 points. So, you've got a very interesting team there, but for Eastern Kentucky, they should be able to win from within. You've got Devontae Bland, Michael Moreno combining for 13 rebounds, 20.5 points per game, and they combine to shoot 37% per three, and Isaiah Cozart is able to give you right around 9.5.7 rebounds per game. For North Alabama, you've got one guy that gives you north of 4.1 rebounds per game. Damani Forrest is able to give you 7.8 points, 6.5 rebounds per game. Daniel Ortiz, 14.5 points, shoots 42% from three-pointers. Will Sosi is able to give you 45.5% three-point shooting, 8.5 points per game. They have been dealing, though, with an injury to K.J. Johnson. K.J. Johnson has missed each of the last two games. It's been one of the main facilitators with 3.3 assists per game. I think that this is a spot where he probably is going to return to this game, but even with them back in the fold for North Alabama, I don't think that they're going to be able to hold up at the point of attack in this spot, and I do think that Eastern Kentucky going to do a good job as a result of North Alabama dealing with an element to Johnson of being able to generate those turnovers, get their style in this game. So I did set my total 151. Here at 152, I think we've been a little bit too lofty. I'm going to be willing to dive under. It is a North Alabama team that isn't necessarily a super-duper up-tempo team. 113th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, and having KJ Johnson out of the fold really hurts their offense. Even if he does play, he's probably going to be rather limited. So, looking at the under with Eastern Kentucky, made them a nine-point favorite. One to lay the number. 3-6-5-41, American plays us to Bucknell. The bracket plus the Bucknell Bison are a underdog of five and a half to six and a half points. Draws game is anywhere between one thirty-one and a half and one thirty-two. I recognize that Bucknell is not necessarily had the world's greatest year, but I'm going to be willing to take the points with them. Who is American to be laying this sort of a number coming in on a six-game losing streak? Including a loss of Bucknell in the time span by a count of 73-51. to 51. I mean, this American team is in really poor form. They are dead last in the country in terms of opponent steals on a per-possession basis. American is in the bottom 20 in terms of possessions per game, and they turn the ball over 14 times per contest. They do shoot 34.5% per three with Mark Rogers, Johnny O'Neill. They both have size. They combine for about 24.5 points per game and shoot 40% from three, but other than these two guys, nobody else on American gives you north of 2.9 rebounds per game. Meanwhile, you've got a Bucknell team that has Andre 3,000 screen, 11 points, 5.8 rebounds, 1.3 blocks per contest. You've been able to get some good three-point shooting, 38.5%. Uh, Jack Forbes is giving you 10 points per game. Alex Timmerman, 7 boards, 11.5 points per game. Xander Rice is able to give you 14 points per game. It is a Bucknell team that they themselves have throttled down their style. They're outside the top 225 in terms of total possessions per game. And Bucknell certainly has not been a uh, stalwart with their defense, 
194th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, giving up 11.9 points more per 100 possessions in a roadside church court environment. But for American, they're actually giving up 4.4 points more per 100 possessions at home rather than in a roadside church court environment. And they've given up more points per possession than Bucknell. I mean, you've got Colin Smalls back in the fold. Elijah Stevens has been able to give you about four assists per game, so they've been solid in the backcourt. But I think the Bucknells should be able to hold in there in another game that I think it's going to be tough for either team to score. And last time these two teams played, it combined 124 points up on the board. Both of these teams are super-duper slow. American can't hold on to the ball. So a circumstance in which I did set American as a four-point favorite. So we'll take the 6-6 to half with Bucknell set by total 128 diving under. And we wrap things up with 306-543, Loyal Maryland is going to be playing those to Holy Cross. Holy Cross is an underdog of six points with your total on this game, 143.5 to 144. And with Holy Cross, I did set them as an underdog of four and a half points. I'm going to be one to take the six with Holy Cross. Holy Cross has been able to do a nice job with Jarrell Gates all season long as he's done a nice job with 16 and a half points and half rebounds per game for Holy Cross team that they shoot it well from three point range. They shoot about 37% from three point range. Will Betcha Letter has been able to shoot about 41.5% from distance, two assists, 12 points per game. Joe Octavo Montgomery, they combine for 23 points, eight and a half boards. Montgomery is able to give you two and a half assists per game and Holy Cross. They turned the ball for about 12 times for contest. Both of these teams have been leaving a lot to be desired on defense all season long. It's a Holy Cross team that in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis has been pretty wholly awful for them, 256th in the country with this regard, and it certainly has been waning towards back out of the season. I will say Loyal Maryland comes into this Patriot League tournament hot, 289th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis and actually giving up 1.1 points more per 100 possessions at home other than in a roadside shoot court environment. But Loyal Maryland, winners of four out of their last five. Offense has been clicking for this team. They've gotten to at least 73 points in four out of their last five games. The defense has been a little bit better as well, giving up 70 points or fewer in three out of their last four games. The lone exception was their overtime game against American, which they allowed 71 points in regulation. So they've done a better job on that front as you've had Alonzo Foray along Golden DK combined for 12.4 rebounds per game. These two guys, they're combining also for about 16 points per contest. And you've got pretty much a trio in the backcourt that all give you about 11 to 11 half points per game. Deion Perry, Jalen Andrews, Cam Jones, all three of these guys. Between 11.1 and 11.5 points per game, Jones gives you three and a half assists, 1.7 steals per game. Perry and Andrews combine for 2.6 steals per game. Perry and Jones both shoot above 40% from three-point range, but Loyal Maryland, despite the fact that they are in the bottom one in terms of total possessions per game, they do turn the ball over right around 13 times for contest. That is a little bit of a bugaboo for them. I do think that Holy Cross is going to be able to hold in this game. You take a look at the last time these two teams played, and Loyal Maryland was able to take it to them. That was a 98-60 to victory for Loyal Maryland, where Loyal Maryland went 13-29 to from three-point range, won the turnover battle 16-13. to I do think that Holy Cross is going to lose the battle on the glass, but I do think that Jarrell Gates is going to be able to keep them lively at just four rebounds in that last game. I expect a better performance out of them, and I certainly think that the three-point shooting is going to regress big time with a pair of lower possession teams that have been having their issues taking care of the ball. I did set my total 135 and a half diving under, and with Holy Cross, set them as a four and a half point dog, so I'm going to be looking to take the points, and that will wrap things up. For the Tuesday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, I'm part of the Beeson Family Podcast. A big thanks to Eli Becker, who does amazing work over at HeatCheckCBB for joining me in the last segment. If you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you have one of two ways to be able to those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at you underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters the 
Medium. Maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you like to hear on this podcast via the five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.